South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, a very good morning. Uh, kind of a wet morning. Not really raining very much. Just enough to make the streets pretty wet out there. Just kind of a little drizzle. Seems to be spread pretty much all the way across South Texas, but... Uh, it was it was coming down a little bit up in Bernie, but here in San Antonio, fairly dry. But supposed to be that kind of day. At least it's warm out there. Uh, gonna gonna have probably several more fairly warm day. Well, a couple more pretty warm days, and then uh, Tuesday morning gonna be chilly again up in the hill country. Uh, you better cover those tomatoes if you're gambling and putting them in early. San Antonio shouldn't be a problem though, and uh, should be great for all those spring flowers you're planting, like Gerber daisies and zinnias and all that sort of thing, and uh, it's just uh, it's just going to be a very good day out there. Hope you're going to get out and enjoy, because it's going <laughs> to it's going to be spring here before we know it. And unfortunately, after after we have spring, then uh, summer comes along, and I don't think any of us are ready for that quite yet. Uh, uh, interesting, got somebody named July waiting to talk. Actually, second in line, so I guess that goes along real well with summertime, but. Uh, Lots of folks uh, up early this morning. Let's see here. It looks like we've got Kim and July and Bobby and Julie. wonder if that's uh, supposed to be Julie up there. Anyway, we'll uh, get right on with phone calls because I just hate to keep people waiting. Lots of things to talk about today, lots of fun things. But what is most important to me is what is on your mind. So we start out with Kim. Good morning, Kim. Um. I have a question. Last um, fall, I bought a um, Japanese maple. Okay. And it was looked really bad. I got it on a deep, deep discount because it was <laughs> half dead. Because it, okay. it had been such a rough summer, and this is like a a wholesale nursery that also does some retail. Uh-huh. And um, I thought it was such a deep discount. I thought it was worth buying it and trying to save it. And besides, and so, you were you were rescuing it from apparently a very bad home. So exactly. <laughs> good for you. So <laughs> well, I decided the first thing was to repot it in not in the same size pot, but just like give it some fresh soil. And they had put probably. There was at least a cup, at least, of, like, the slow-release fertilizer in there. Osmocote, like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That is, like, way too much fertilizer. So mm-hmm. the thing could have been dying from over-fertilization. But I tried to get as much off as I could without, like, really disturbing the roots because it was in sure. rough shape. So I've overwintered it. And it's outside, and I've seen more die back. Like, it, it started dying back. The, you know, there's a lot more stuff that looked like it was alive and now mm-hmm. looks dead. But I do see a few little things look like they might sprout out. You know, um, I'm wondering at what point should I take it back out and maybe, rent, you know, 
soak no. it in no. some super thrive and get rid of all the that fertilizer because there's still a lot in there i'm sure yeah i i wouldn't worry too much about it at this point uh the one thing about that type of fertilizer it is very temperature sensitive as far as how much fertilizer it releases probably had a lot to do with why the plant was doing poorly because last summer when it was so hot it was getting a whole lot more fertilizer than it needs and uh uh, is this stuff the the stuff that's kind of clear to amber color? Looks like uh, little BBs. Yeah. Okay, yes. yeah, that's that's that? called that's yeah. called osmocote is what it's called. Oh yeah. And uh, but once weather cools down, the release slows down. So there's very little fertilizer being released right now. But I suspect that in the heat last summer, it just. Uh, um, you know, got got fried from having, like you said, way, way too much fertilizer. But at this point, I I wouldn't worry about it because, like I say, it's uh, um, probably most of the fertilizer was used up last summer, and this time of year when the soil is chilly, it's not releasing that much fertilizer to begin with. So at this point, what you've tried to got to try to do is get some good new roots on that plant and um super thrive garret juice those are the things that will help i would uh you know i wouldn't worry about taking it out of the pot and trying to soak it but i would very much soak it from the top down um, in fact, you might even use Garrett Juice and Super Thrive together, but use that to water the plant very thoroughly. Do that, you know, at least every other watering for the next couple of months. Now, since it doesn't have much, if any, foliage on it yet, it's not going to need water very often. It's not going to dry out till it gets some leaves on it. But at this point, I would just sort of, uh, you know, give it good care, sit back, wait, and see where it comes out. Now, in addition to putting your Super Thrive uh, Garrett Juice on the root system, I would mix up a little spray bottle of it, and I would spray the top of the plant with it, and I would do that regularly. I'd do that every few days uh, until it really starts getting good foliage on it. But at this point, I think it may surprise you. Uh, Japanese maples, uh, they... They're sensitive to a lot of things. Their foliage is very, very tender, and it doesn't take a lot to make the foliage look really bad, but that's not necessarily a a sign that the plant is unhealthy. So at this point, let's just give it good care until it puts out its spring growth. Then we can see what's alive, what's dead, trim it appropriately, and move forward from there. This time of year, it can actually take as much sun as you want to give it. When we get into hotter weather, you'll need to move it to a shadier spot but right uh yeah the the plant just needs some roots so let's don't shock it any more than it already is uh by okay. putting pulling it out of the pot or anything else and at this point some good care and some patience is what is in order so those that osmocote how can you tell when it does it just disappear when it's gone no it's no finished, it will it will no. get to the point that um, it's it's a dry fertilizer coated with several coats of walnut oil, and those little mo and and to me they're they're BBs they're you know the size of double lot buckshot probably, mm-hmm. and they will get to the point where they're just hollow. That little coating is okay. going to stay there you know for years probably, but uh, I'd be willing to bet if you know the, obviously this plant was probably 
potted, you know, when last summer started, and it just flat got fried because they put way too much of the fertilizer in there, and the soil got really, really hot. So um, I, I suspect if you go back to wherever you dump the things that you took out of there and you squeeze some of those little things, you'll find that they just kind of crumble, that they don't have, Mm -hmm. you know, much liquid, much less any dry inside. So, uh, yeah, it's not a fertilizer that I recommend at all. Uh, because no. and the reason is it's uh well number one it's not organic but number two it's just its release is so irregular it gives your plants virtually nothing in the winter and gives them way too much in the summer months and uh if this was a you know grower you know retailer they obviously have a lot to learn about growing plants <laughs> but well, uh, they're not actually growing them they're oh okay like, they're like a wholesale nursery okay they so they're they're re-wholesaling is they're re-wholesaling yeah. is what they're doing they're and, buying from a bigger nursery somewhere yeah and when i went to um <laughs> buy i asked how much it was and they told me it was 180 dollars <laughs> Yeah. I just laughed and I walked away. Then they chased me out the door and said, <laughs> wow. And she went over and said, because they said that they were on sale and they sold it to me for 40 bucks. And I thought I would just take a chance, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> worth giving it a try. And I would not be at all surprised if it comes out and does just fine for you. Uh, this time of year, in fact, through the winter months, uh, Japanese maples if they're at all stressed they look crummy uh the leaves don't you know fall off like they normally would in the winter months and they're um it's they're not it's not going to change in appearance very much until it starts budding out this spring which if the weather stays warm are are you here in this area or where are you calling me from i'm in austin okay yeah it's uh if the weather stays the way it is right now, you may that plant may start budding out for you in you know next two or three weeks, and you're going to be able to tell a whole lot more about it. It's kind of like a grafted fruit tree. Many varieties, if not most, uh, Japanese maples are grafted, so you're going to need to watch it very carefully. And anything that appears to be coming out at ground level, cut it off because that's probably coming from the rootstock. Uh, uh, it could be cutting grown. It's possible that it's not grafted. It's possible that it's it is cutting grafted. grown. I can, okay, I can see the graft because it's yeah. on a. It's one of the. Uh, it's a red dragon, maybe something. Okay, I don't. It's it's one of the dwarfer. You know, because yeah. I bought yeah. it to leave it in a pot because I know it's. You know, it's. I wanted to be able to get his ass the full Sure, sure. <laughs> the one out. precaution I would give you, and this is sort of tell you to tell you it's not your fault if it doesn't do well, but it's possible, depending on where this re-wholesaler bought that plant, it could be grafted onto sugar maple rootstock, which is not going to be happy oh. in Austin. But hopefully it's not. Hopefully it's grafted on Big Tooth or on a maple that will do well here. So uh, it's not out of the woods. It may just, you know... It, it right. may need to be rehomed to somebody in Michigan or something like that. But at this oh, point, wow. you know, just just give it good care and uh, be patient with it. Uh, you know, you will not have to water very often since there are no leaves. But uh, miss the top of it. Well, water the top of it. You know, spray the top of it. But, but mist it frequently with uh, water with a little Garrett juice and a little bit of Super Thrive in there. And you'll be giving it every chance. Okay. I know that the the who grew it is Monrovia. 
Okay, well, they that came out of Oregon probably, and uh, okay. uh, they're a good grower. You know, you've got a good plant. They ought to know better than to put that much uh, osmocote in the bottom of the pot, but I guess they're in a much colder climate, so they can get away with it. But, uh, no, if, if, it's from, uh, if it's from Monrovia, they have a California and an Oregon location, and uh, it's they're good growers. You know, they, they produce good quality trees. It just got some bad care and a bad home somewhere along the way. So uh, at this point, you know, you, you've done just about all you can other than the Garrett Juice and Super Thrive. So uh, water it with that about, uh, well, the next skip, make it every other watering that you give it, uh, um uh, you know, the Super Thriving Gear Juice and Water combination. But put some of that in a spray bottle, and just every time you think about it, pick it up and just miss the top of the plant with it. And uh, probably two, three weeks from now, we're going to have a real good idea of how much of it's going to come out. And uh, you're welcome to call me back anytime, but call me back in a couple of weeks and let me know how it's doing. Okay. One last question. When can I repot? Because I have a, a, like a ceramic pot that I, it's just in the nursery pot that sure. I bought it in, like mm-hmm. next fall replanted? It shouldn't really be replanted until it's root bound. And uh, okay. that's going to take a while. And is it well, possible just to set the uh, nursery container? Some people call them grow pots. Can you just set that down inside of your ceramic pot? Maybe put some uh, moss well, or some bark around it to make it yeah, look better? I could, yeah do yeah. something it's like i'm not worried about that i just wanted to know like i don't want to freak it out again <laughs> yeah no i i, I certainly wouldn't do that and i you know uh, again you're going to make it much heavier to move when you replant it into that ceramic pot and it may take a little while to figure out where it's going to be happiest so uh, don't don't be anxious to turn that 20 pound plant into a 90 pound plant <laughs> And uh, right. <laughs> like I say, the only time, only two times to replant a plant are number one, if it's root bound, drying out so quickly you can't keep it properly watered, or if it's gotten so top heavy you can't keep it standing upright. Those are the only oh. two times to repot a plant, unless it's just in horrible, horrible soil, in which case you probably bare root it and start all over with it. But uh, yeah. this one, Monrovia okay. uses uh, probably better potting better growing mix than most texas nurseries do so uh i i wouldn't worry about trying to replace the soil you've you've done the good thing yeah, getting rid well, of I the excess that when loss i got it I, yeah. I used some fox farm so it's in good soil now good so all right well great. thank you so much <laughs> i'm going to give it a whole lot better chance than uh, i think you started out with i think it's probably going to turn out pretty well for you I'll keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Very Thank good, Kim. You. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Well, now that we have a name corrected, I know it's Julie that I'm going to be talking to next. Good morning, Julie. Uh, good morning, Bob. This is Julie from Oklahoma. Yes, ma'am. And, um, I have two kind of short ones I wanted to ask you about, and then one I'm, I'll just hang up and let you uh, lecture us on them, but... <laughs> Uh, is it time to get the little wasps that come on the tabs that you put on the trees? Is it time to get those out, or is it too it's, early? It's certainly uh, time to do it in Texas. I think you're probably a couple of weeks early uh, in Oklahoma. Um, okay. It's uh, Are you all still having frost with some regularity? Oh, yeah. Well, this week we haven't, but... I don't trust that. Well, <laughs> you know, I know for next us week. next, yeah, next next Monday night is supposed to be chilly here, which means uh, uh, it's probably going to be really chilly for you guys. But 
Uh, I, I when you get past the danger of a hard freeze or really okay. heavy frost, then that's probably going to be the time to do it. And I'm going to guess for you, it's going to be in about two weeks. Uh, here in South Texas, yeah, it's warm enough to where probably a good idea to get them out. But where you are, uh, give it a couple of weeks, and then we'll see what the weather does. Now, are, are uh, the name of those are they these tricked tricked trick grandma? Frost? Yes. Uh, trichoderma. Okay. Tr- yeah, okay. trichoderma is the fungus. Trichoderma right. is the wasp. And the people just okay. to just to avoid you know stumbling around on the word, a lot of people just call them the tea wasps, and everybody knows what they're talking oh, about. Okay. Okay. And then the the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Okay, I've written that down. I'm going to wait then on that. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, you you had mentioned to somebody you were talking about oak. Oak leaf hydrangeas that uh-huh. the they they're beautiful plants, but they their blooms are are kind of weak. They're they're different, shall we say? They they never they don't open many flowers at one time. They open the okay. the flowers over a period of time. And anybody that's ever seen the big you know pinks and blues anybody's ever been to san francisco or you know somewhere like that where these things uh, are really really happy uh yeah the the oak leaf looks a little faded out but uh it has the benefit that it's not nearly as picky about its soil it's much more cold hardy um you can grow oak leaf hydrangeas in a lot wider range of climates than you can grow your big floral hydrangeas Okay, well, Bob, I was wondering. Now, this is going to sound weird, but could, could you could you kind of cheat to make them bloom more if you get if you uh, fertilize them with with bloom stuff like you know every two weeks? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <Okay>. It's and <laughs> you know it'll it'll make the plants happier probably, but it's just the nature of that type of hydrangea. Okay. It's just, they call it a lace cap hydrangea is the broad generic term they use. And yeah. it just never opens more than about, no, 5%, at most 10% of the blooms on that head okay. at any one time. I guess it would be an umble probably would be the term for the flower. But um, it it blooms over a much longer period of time. That, that head of buds is going to give you color probably for a couple of months where the big fancy ones they're going to fade out after oh, yeah. you know a couple of weeks so um they they have their place most definitely but you know if if you'd never had prime rib you'd think hamburger tasted really good <laughs> okay <laughs> all right and do they need are they one of the ones that need that six to eight hours of full sun uh, they will tolerate more full sun, but no, they don't need it, and they. Uh, okay, uh, I would not give them any afternoon sun. Morning sun is fine, uh, and you know you're obviously a little cooler than we are in South Texas, but your July sun can get pretty darn hot and baking. So I would not put it where it gets any summer hot sun. Probably up till ten or eleven is okay, but they also thrive okay. and bloom, you know, in in pretty good shade, which is what makes them a little more attractive to a lot of people as well. Okay, and then the third thing is, I, I, and I can just hang up and you can just talk, talk about this, but I'm trying to get myself ready for summer again. I mean, last summer was just intense over the whole, everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. And ha- have, have you given a, a lot of thought to 
is there something special that we just a normal gardener can get ready for maybe another intense summer like well, that? and that's a that's a good question. Don't hang up because I may want to ask a little bit more of you. But um, okay, you know, you know very well about mulching things for the winter to protect them from the cold. We also right. mulch things for the summer because it's okay. you know it's, it's kind of like down or anything else. Uh, it keeps <laughs> the old joke about the Aggie and the thermos. It keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. Mulch <laughs> will keep the soil cooler. And we won't go to that joke. I don't want to offend any of my A&M friends. But uh, uh, the mulch keeps the soil cooler in the summer, just like it keeps it warmer in the winter. You don't want to pile it up around the trunk, but out over the root system, uh, mulch will very definitely help. Uh, probably the other things just to realize, and you probably do, but be sure that you're allowing things to dry properly between waterings, and that sounds silly. But when it gets real hot, things lots of times droop, and people look at those droopy leaves and say, oh, it needs water, and they go out and water, and they end up drowning the poor plants because a lot of things, when we have a summer like last summer, they're just drooping from the heat. They're not drooping because they need water, and water's the last thing you want to put on a plant in that situation. The other thing, and obviously you can't do this for your whole garden, but um, you can give Things that seem to be have a tendency to burn, you can give a little bit more shade. You can use that same insulate fabric we use to protect from cold. Uh, you can put some of that over them. That will reduce the amount of sun. Um, you can actually get some shade cloth if you have a bigger area that you think is just getting too much sun. You know, a fairly thin shade cloth, like a 30% or 40% or something like that. I've got yeah, a big that's section. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. The percentage. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad you but here's, here's one thing about, about sunburn. Uh, it's a function of leaf temperature. And you can go out and just with your thumb and forefinger feel the temperature of that leaf. If it feels hot to the touch, it's probably getting ready to sunburn and you ought to do something to, you know, keep it from getting as much sun. If it feels cool and you're going to find that plants that are better adapted to bright sun, even in the, on the hottest day, that leaf will feel cool just from the transpiration, from the water vapor it's giving off. So, you know, you can, you can tell whether a plant's getting ready to burn. And uh, uh, giving them a little protection from the hot sun is very definitely going to help. And, you know, beyond that, just water properly, meaning water very thoroughly when you water. And then, like you say, don't go by the by the appearance of the plants. Feel that soil. Don't water again until that soil is dry a good inch deep. And then give it another very thorough watering. But uh, um, those are the main things. You mulch over the root zone, but not the stems, and a little bit of shade cloth. That's going to help things get through the summer, uh, even if it does turn out to be another scorcher, as my grandmother used to say. Yeah. Well, thank you, because that was, I I mean, I don't want it to happen, but I also, I I was so frustrated. Everybody was frustrated last summer. (laughs) Including including your nurseryman friends and the growers and everybody else, because it was a tough summer. And just keep in mind, plants have a what is called a compensation point, and that's how much energy it takes that plant just to stay alive, to perform its basic metabolic functions. You know, it's just... uh, uh, there's a certain amount of nutrition you need to stay alive, but then there's how much you need if you're an active 
gardener, hiker, whatever. And plants are the same way. And when the compensation point gets really high, they're just hanging on to survive and they don't have anything left over to grow and bloom and, you know, give you the beauty that you planted them for. So you have to have to be a little understanding and patient with them because they don't like that heat any more than you do. And they're just simply not physically capable of rewarding you the way they normally would uh, when when it's just taking everything they have just to uh, keep their their temperature down and just survive the heat. So uh, have to be a little patient with things. But then again, yeah. there are things that absolutely love this hot sun. I mean, in hot summer, Bogavias thrived in it. Periwinkles thrived in it. Lantana, they just absolutely, they didn't care if it was 110 degrees and oh. baking heat. They just got spectacular. So... Um, I was so grateful for my lantana last summer because that's what I had. That's all I had. Yeah, well, lantana, salvia gregii, uh, bougainvilleas, uh, ixoras, there are plenty of tropical things out there. Copper plants were spectacular last summer, and there are lots of new varieties. So, you know, kind of use your own judgment, and if you feel like it looks like it's going to be a super hot summer, plant accordingly, and you'll just really make your neighbors look bad. (laughs) <laughs> you're, well, thank you're, you. <laughs> very good. Well, it's always a pleasure okay. talking to you, and uh, I'll look forward to our next visit, Julie. Okie doke. Thank you very much. You're Bye-bye. certainly welcome. Goodbye. All right, let's get Bobby in here before the news break. Good morning, Bobby. Uh, good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. I have a $35,000 question for you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I wasn't laughing when I saw that figure. What, what I have is, uh, I hesitate calling you because you're all about growing things, and I'm calling about maybe killing some things. Okay, what are you trying to kill? Uh, I, my home uh, was built in 1960. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I recall seeing, you showed me a picture of your, your own home, which is 100 built in, years old. Built in 1906. <laughs> <Okay>. So, Yeah. <laughs> Well, I figure maybe you might have come across the same problem. We have a uh, a sewer. I, I live near the airport, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the area is called Harmony Hills. Oh, I know Harmony uh, Hills very well. Rhapsody Drive, uh, Patricia mm-hmm. Drive. I know Harmony Hills. Had some good friends live out there. Silver Sands. If I went through it, I could probably name most of the streets in Harmony Hills. <laughs> now that's true. That's their street names are easy to remember. Uh, the Again, it was built in 1960, uh, about two to three years ago, and it was a funny thing. It was happening, starting to happen when our drought started. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a sewer line uh, that forts, and one of the forts uh, serves the uh, utility room and uh, the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, uh, water started backing up. Uh, in in the sink, kitchen sink, and mm-hmm. in the uh, utility room. Uh, a couple of times I had a, a plumber come out to use an auger, uh-huh. and uh, he did something real quick. Uh, that cleared it up for about six to nine months, and then it happened again. Mm-hmm. So this third time, uh, I called a, a plumber. Uh, I won't mention the name of the company. They advertise a lot. And uh, they have uh, uh, a lot of trucks, so there's yeah. a lot of overhead with this company. Right. Um, so he ran a, a camera, uh, mm-hmm. a camera line through through the uh, the sewer. 
Bobby, let, let me do this. I'm right up on the news break, so I'm going to get uh, Jimmy to put you back on hold, and uh, I, will, I look forward to continuing this question, and we'll do it right after news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, getting back to uh, getting back to gardening. We're going to visit a little bit more with Bobby with his $35,000 question. I think I have an idea where that came from. And it looks like Don and Betty will be up immediately afterwards. But uh, Bobby, we just got to the point of uh, running a camera down the line. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, probably after this call, I'll call the uh, home improvement show and uh, ask about <laughs> gardening. But uh, <laughs> a good idea. Well, anyway, it, tell me what they found. It, right in running the line, they found um, a lot of tree roots. Mm-hmm. And Not surprising. There's an area. There's an area in in front of my patio, back patio, uh, probably four or five feet by ten feet. Uh, that I have uh, three that the sewer line uh, runs runs underneath, mm-hmm. and I have what 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 I'm asking you about is really root systems. Right. Uh, the camera showed these roots that had infiltrated the uh, the sewer line, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the plants I have is a a really old uh, photinia. I think it's a red tip photinia. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Very tall. Uh, then I also have uh, a mountain laurel, and then there's a, a an older Nandina uh, that uh, I, I know I know those roots are, are fairly invasive. Anyway, I have those three; those are the three major plants uh, that I have in that area where that sewer line runs. So my question is, and, and after I, I talked with this particular plumber. Uh, he he did something on his uh, iPad and showed me his estimate, and the estimate was thirty five thousand dollars. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, let me ask you a let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, it, do you have clay tile sewer uh, pipe, or what is the pipe made out of in that area? Uh, well, the yes, it's uh, uh, the it's a. Uh, I'm trying to think now what what he what he called it. It was a. It, uh, is it a plastic pipe or is it a steel no, pipe or? It's more it, of a, it, a steel pipe. Okay. Um, a metal pipe. Okay. And do you have any idea how big it is? How many large in diameter it is? I I really I really don't. Uh, okay. Except to to look at the uh, the opening at, at the on on ground level. Um, yeah. You know, it probably isn't more than about. Six inches, seven inches. Okay. In well, diameter. if it's if it's that big, then there you have a lot of options. Um, the problem is is not really the plants. Uh, any plants roots you pick, you pick any woody plant that you want to. Whether it's an oak tree, whether it's a mount laurel, whether it's a pittosporum or photinia or a holly, um, that plant uh, its roots don't have little drills. They can't penetrate a piece of pipe that's in good shape but if that pipe is worn out and there are holes in the pipe uh doesn't matter what the plant is it's going to put its roots into the area where it finds water and nutrients and uh you can imagine what i go through with uh you know the old clay tile line that isn't real tight to begin with running under a big mod of oak trees between my home and my septic tank so um 
you have you have a couple of different options. Uh, one thing you can do is, and I probably have to do this no more than about every two years. You know, I pay a plumber to come out and run his his little snake down through there and clear out the roots, and I'm good for a while longer, and I'm not having to spend any huge amount of money at one time. Um, it's a little bit more complex since uh, your line makes a a Y or you know it it branches, but in a lot of cases, um, if you have a big line like a six inch line, uh, a decent plumber can run a five inch piece of PVC inside that old six inch line, and um, you know just literally. Uh, replace the old line without taking it out of the ground. Now you would have to dig up at the area that this uh, that the line makes a Y. Part of it going to one part of your house, part of it to the other, and hopefully that's not underneath your patio there. That that would be a problem, and that would require some tunneling to get to. But uh, there, you know, there are other options. There are things, unfortunately, some are pretty poisonous that you can put down the line that will retard the growth, you know, of roots into the line. It's not, you know, you've got to get out what's there. And that's what that little sharp metal thing that, that spins around that's on the end of his long thing that he runs down. And uh, if he, yeah, if he's a good plumber, he he ran it down from what's called the clean-out, where the line goes into your house. And then perhaps uh, they actually chiseled the new spot of my line toward the other end so that they could run it back and forth in both directions. So um, that, you know, that sounds like a lot of money to me, and uh, I can't believe that, uh, that that it should cost that much. But there are other options, but you have to know how big that line is. If it's a metal line, you know, there's no fixing it. But um, it may certainly be possible, um, and, and I, I I do a lot of things myself, but when it comes to sewer work, I, I dig out and expose the line, and that saves me about two-thirds of the cost of the repair when the plumber comes out and says, hmm, I don't have to bring in a backhoe, I don't have to do this, that, and the other. And if they do have to do any, you know, major digging, if it's around plants that you value that you don't want to disturb the root system on, have them dig with an air spade, not a backhoe, not even a shovel, and you may have to call an arborist to get somebody with an air spade. But um, this is what I recommend to people that are putting in uh, low voltage lighting or putting in, you know, maybe replacing a, a broken sprinkler line or something like that where they don't want to dig it up. You get out there with an air spade and you can dig a trench practically as fast as you can with a shovel without doing nearly the damage to the roots and things like that. So depending on how big your line is and uh, a couple of other factors, I would be in hopes that they could dig up, expose that Y, and basically, you know, cut out a little 18-inch section of pipe, which they're going to replace. But if they're replacing it with uh, a heavy-duty PVC like Schedule 20 or something like that, most plumbing is uh, Schedule 40 is what goes in the line. And if you got a, a lousy sprinkler system company, they use Schedule 200, which is really thin-walled. But if they are able to simply, you know, run a a big enough line, which probably four inch minimum, but a big enough line to carry the load from your household plumbing, um, and 
again, golly, I, I, and I'm not playing plumber, but I've I've dug a lot of lines and replaced a lot of plumbing. But uh, from where it was, and one portion goes to uh, one por- part of your house, and and the other to the other. Do both of these eventually service a toilet, or does one of them in the principal part of your house go to your bathroom to the toilet, and the other simply goes to uh, you know a washer or a you know, laundry room or something like that where it's basically just uh, wastewater that's going down the system. Do you know? Uh, yes, I do know. Uh, one line serves uh, one end of the house, which has the, uh, the bathrooms and, and so forth. Uh, the other line serves the kitchen. Okay. And so it's, well, it's def- uh, definitely fork. Yeah. Well, the line that serves the kitchen, you can get by with a much smaller pipe. A three-inch pipe is probably all you would need there. And that's pretty cheap comparatively, and uh, it just it just requires the proper fittings. But I would see if it's possible. And remember, you don't have to replace the whole thing. Once you get underneath your slab, there are not going to be any tree roots underneath your slab. The problem starts outside the slab. So if they can go from this Y simply up to and under the slab, then you've got everything you need to do as far as fixing the line. And then, of course, from the Y out to the city sewer pipe, um, again, you're going to have to have, uh, you know, a five or six inch line to carry uh, the solids, <laughs> as they like to put it. So anyway, there are a lot of other possibilities, and I hope I've given you a little bit of an education on that, and you'll know the, the proper questions to ask when you call a different plumbing company. Well, uh, my the reason I called you is, well, with your expertise about root systems, and uh, <laughs> one option to me was I'm not really sentimental about these three plants, mm-hmm. these three trees. Um, uh, I have so many more in our back and front yard, you know, that's, you know. It's, but but let me I tell you this. About cutting them down. Okay, the if three, you have... Do you have a tree that you like within 50 feet of the sewer line? Uh, no. Okay, because trees from a well, long way away are going to grow their roots down into that area, and believe it or not, even grass could become a problem putting its roots down into that line. Uh-oh. So okay. eliminating the plants is not really going to solve your problems. Because uh, it's amazing. I mean, tree roots go under streets. Tree roots go under driveways. And uh, it's amazing how one tiny little root, they're sort of feeling their way through the soil, so to speak. And when they hit the mother load, which is a leaky sewer line, they're going to grow through the crack, the opening in it, and really proliferate. And that's what causes your problem. So um, that's a Band-Aid to take those plants out. Um, and uh, it, it's not going to fix the problem, and ultimately you're going to have other roots get in there and continue to cause more problems. So, um, I, you know, labor is the most important, expensive part of plumbing, but I would tell you if they are able to put, you know, a pipe inside a pipe, so to speak, you're looking easily at less than $500 worth of materials, probably less than, Three hundred dollars worth of it, less you know worth of materials to take care of this problem. Uh, beyond that, you got plenty of labor is going to pile up on top of that. But uh, thirty-five thousand, I think not. Mm-hmm. Well, that yes, and he including that estimate included uh, changing out the again the home was built in nineteen sixty, so sure. changing out some of the plumbing in the utility room. But 
that's not giving me the problem. Uh, yeah. So, well, okay, thank you. The uh, that that's that gives me a a, a second uh, second okay. option. And do you understand the things I was telling you about doing there? Yes, I do. I do. I, well, I hear you. You're well armed now, so get back with them and uh, feel free to call me if you have more questions. That's what I'm here for. Okay, sure do. Yeah, sure will. Thanks a lot, Bob. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Gosh, I better get a break in here. My next two callers are Don and Betty. You know, I always hope when we have a question takes a little bit longer like that, everybody learns something. And so, sure, I gave Bobby a little extra time, and uh, hopefully you learned something from his question as well. Let's do a break, and like I say, then I'll get back to Don and Betty. Looks like I get to talk to you about my friends at Adams, the folks who uh, make the Nature's Creation products. Nature's Creation makes a lot of quality products, organic products, natural products, nothing synthetic, uh, and they've got some some great things. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people want to do this time of year is put out a pre-emergent herbicide. I'm not huge on pre-emergents, but I absolutely will tell you, you do not want a chemical pre-emergent, a synthetic pre-emergent, because that's going to mess up your trees and cause all sorts of other problems. But if you want a good one, what you want is corn gluten meal, CGM as we call it. Well, Nature's Creation has a spreadable form of corn gluten meal. It's pelletized to the point that you can put it out with a regular spreader, and it will do a lot to stop all the winter weeds that want to start coming up this time of year. Plus, it's a good fertilizer. Uh, the spreadable corn gluten meal, you get small packages, large packages. You're perfectly safe to use it in the garden, on your lawn. Uh, just, you know, again, pre-emergence don't totally solve the problem of weeds in the yard but if you want a good pre-emergent and i would certainly suggest that you combine it with a little bit of the good compost from nature's creation but uh, this spreadable corn gluten meal which you'll find at many fine nurseries around the area that's your answer you do not want the synthetic stuff that uh, a lot of people sell because it is highly toxic and will damage plants that you don't want to damage nature's creation makes quality products you'll find their products uh, wherever fine gardening products are sold places like fanix like rainbow gardens most every feed store out in the country carries their products as do Millburgers, and we certainly have lots of things here at shades of green remember that spreadable corn gluten meal and even more importantly remember nature's creation South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Don and Betty are my next two callers. Don's up first. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I've got a question for you. It's been a while since I've talked to you. I went on vacation. How uh, lucky you. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It, this way, I call it a vacation because it, it sounds better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And okay. they said we had 12 inches of rain while I was at uh, vacation. And uh, I'm dealing with about four of those, I think they call them weed sacks, the one that makes a, those great big old thorns about three inches long and produces yellow flowers. Uh, that could be weed satch, That could be Rotama, what they call Parkinsonia. goes by a number of different names. But uh, they're all woody trees. What's What's happening or not happening with them? Okay, it's in my gardening area, and I cut them down last year, and now we had all this rain. I went out with my regrowth plow and tried to plow them under, and they have roots the size of fruit cans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A single root. My question is, because I've been digging around them, 
and pulled the tops off them so it's easier for me to mess with because all the thorns are coming out now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember how we used to cut off trees and then drill holes and right. put like diesel in them? Could I do that to that one single root and it kill the entire root? Uh, it would probably kill the whole root, but that may not be the only root that that tree has going down. Um, you can do that to the stump. You can also put potassium nitrate, what they call stump remover, in there that will rot the stump. And if you cut it back repeatedly, you know, you will ultimately, ultimately kill it. But, uh, um, yeah, they're, you know, they're survivors. They're trees that can put up with an awful lot and still grow. Uh, if it's Weesatch, it probably froze to the ground two winters ago and has come back out. The Parkinsonia may or may not have, but um, you need to expose as much of it as possible. Uh, cut it off if you want to as far below ground as you possibly can. And like I say, if you cut it back repeatedly, it'll resprout three or four times before it gives up and dies. Or you can drill further down into the stump, further down into the root, and, uh, you know, put your choice of materials in that root. I use the so-called stump remover, and uh, it causes the roots to deteriorate fairly quickly. But um, short of, uh, you know, short of digging it out with a backhoe, that's about all you're going to be able to do. Yeah, and it's not all have access to a backhoe anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of looking at, because I've gone about, two feet into it and i mean it's a great big old single rooted device and i was thinking about taking my cordless drill and a paddle bit and drill it about four holes in it and i did it with a mesquite tree where i actually got it back to that to the big main roots and drilled it Mm -hmm. and i just poured gasoline on it i wouldn't do gasoline 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 is a little dangerous and it evaporates so quickly it's probably not going to do much of anything but uh diesel would probably kill it followed up with some molasses to you know get rid of the diesel but uh that that would probably kill it yeah because i'm trying to figure out the easiest way to do it without hurting my back anymore well, sure. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and it's a mistake I made, but I've always remembered, you know, what my friend told me, um, if you're going to cut these trees down and ultimately want to get rid of them, uh, unless you're going to do something like you're talking about, don't cut them off at ground level. If you're going to have a friend that happens to have a backhoe or something like that come over, uh, leave that stump sticking up three, four feet out of the ground so they have something to get a hold of. I, I was building a road one time and, you know, I thought I was doing the guy a favor cutting the cedar down right to ground level. And he said, it's a whole lot easier for me if you leave that trunk sticking up three or four feet because I, then I've got something to get the bucket around or get a chain around or whatever else and I can pull it out of the ground. So go about it however you think. But if you're ultimately hoping to pull those things out, don't, don't cut them off all the way to the ground. Well, problem is when they come, when they came up, there was about 15 shoots off each one and they were sized oh, yeah. of like one inch pipe and and the easiest way for me to, to deal with it was to go out there with a pole saw not a chainsaw mm-hmm. go there with a pole saw get in there and cut them all loose so i don't get all tore up and put that in the burn pile because that's what i'm doing this weekend is burning off brush piles well and it's a pretty good weekend to do that but keep in mind uh, if you had gotten to it early, those, those little shoots that come off the base, like you're describing, they are very weakly attached. 
and uh, you could probably, with nothing more than your foot, you could have broken them off and stripped them away from the base, and you'd be a whole lot further along toward getting rid of it. So uh, the stuff that sprouts off the bottom is, like I say, the wood fibers parallel, and it's pretty easy to break away. If you cut it off, you're you're just probably making the problem worse in the long run. But uh, you know, you know what you're doing. Get out there with your paddle bit and drill down into those big roots and do whatever you think best to kill them. Yeah, because this year I don't think I would be growing out there. Uh, other things have came up, and it's easier to help the neighbors. It is for me to do what i got to do. <laughs> well, you get out there and do it, and have a good day, and uh, and get ready. It's a big, It will be a perfect day across most of South Texas to burn some of those brush piles with this kind of drizzly rain. Not going to be enough to put your fire out, but it's going to be enough to keep the grass and things around from spreading so uh, i think you got your work cut out for you don and uh i appreciate the call and uh jimmy let's uh see what betty's up to this morning good morning betty good morning good morning okay are you ready bob <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's been an interesting morning that's what that's what makes this fun is you get such oh, a diversity right. of questions so what are you going to hit me with today well, I have two questions, so don't let me forget about the second one. But number one in the biggie is my sprinkler system has not worked in over five years, and I'm considering getting it, I don't know, re- replaced, reinstalled, fixed. And I would are, are you in San Antonio? Where are you? I'm in the county near Leon Springs. Okay. Call, call S.A. Rainmaker. Talk to Bill. Okay. I imagine they come that far out, and I can tell you they're honest. They're not going to overcharge you. Uh, it and and if something just needs to re- be replaced, they will tell you. They're not. Uh, believe me, these right. guys have plenty of business, and they're out to not out to sell you something you don't need. But uh, I've only known them for thirty five or forty years, and they've solved yeah. many a problem for me over the years. So. Uh, well, I, know I have a lot of broken off heads, and they're probably mm-hmm. old style. And I didn't know mm-hmm. if there was something, but I should look for in the in that. Well, get uh, they, get them to come out and take a look at it. And like I say, okay. they you can trust them. If they tell you it needs to be replaced, it needs to be replaced. Uh, right. If they can simply replace some heads and probably need to put a new controller on it, that's what they'll do. It it costs a lot of money to dig trenches and put pipes right. in. Uh, it right. doesn't cost nearly as much to replace heads, and then a hundred or two dollars, you got a good controller, you're in good shape. But unless you know, that, I guess what I'm just telling you is they're trustworthy people. They're okay. not gonna. They're they're not going to take your money unless unless right. it can't be fixed. They're they're not going to replace it if they can't fix it. And they can fix an okay. awful lot. Okay. Well, I'm not getting any younger, and I'm tired of dragging the hose around. I can understand that. Unless it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Second now your question. second question. Yeah. Okay. I had a candlestick tree, cinna, whatever. Yeah. Probably five years ago, and I saved some seeds. Mm-hmm. And now I don't know whether you think those seeds are viable, and I want the Garrett Juice. I have Garrett Juice Plus. Uh huh. That's so, fine. Yeah. Okay. Give so them, what do I do? How do I dilute that to soak them? Um, you're gonna you you're not gonna need a lot of water. Probably a cup of water, and I just put maybe uh, 
oh, a teaspoon of garret juice in a cup of water, or if you want to do a little bit more, if you're doing a pint, put a tablespoon of garret juice okay. in there. And don't over-soak them. Give them about 10 or 15 minutes, and that should okay. do the job. Uh, where have the seeds been stored? Have they been in an envelope? They've been in the refrigerator? Oh, of course or- not. In the garage, in the heat. <laughs> well, there's no way. There's no way to know. Um, you know, until you plant them and see. Um, right. They uh, that is an interesting plant. Is a hardy plant, usually an annual in this area, but. Um, they, if you want a plant that, you know, grows five or six feet tall and gives you brilliant yellow flowers and it'll stand up to the heat and the drought and everything else, Empress Candlestick is a pretty good choice. Right. It's so pretty. Well, oh, yeah. and then I, I was going to ask too, I have one of the orange Esperanzas, the smaller mm-hmm. ones. Right. Could I plant, could I plant it near there? Would that make a good combination or is that not a it good It would idea? be a pretty combination, but, you know, give your Esperanza room. Uh, okay. Plant your candlestick at least three feet away from where your Esperanza is. And uh, okay. the Esperanza should be perennial. The candlestick will be an annual and probably have to be replaced every year. But grows easily from seed, grows quickly. Um, I, you, it sounds like you may be thinking about planting it now in a pot and, you know, getting your little plants up to a decent size. You can certainly right. do that now and plant out in the yard as soon as we're past the danger of a hard freeze. I just love experimenting with seeds. Oh, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> but next time, put those seeds in a paper envelope, put I'm that envelope in, in a mason jar, and put it in the refrigerator. Yep. I hear you. I hear you, but I do what I do. Do what I say, not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> I know it. I've listened to you long enough to know that. Oh, I appreciate it, Betty. You get out and have a wonderful weekend. All righty. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure. Thank you. All right, uh, need to get a break in here. Do have some open lines. Grab one of them if you like, 599-5555, two-ten area code, of course. I get to talk to you about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, and one of the reasons I know a little bit about a lot of different things is I talk to good people. I talk to good plumbers. I talk to good carpenters, and I know about good roofs, too. And Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, well, they're the best of the best for a lot of reasons. They use the best quality metal out there, a good lifetime quality metal just as equally as important is the quality of the work they do they install roofs pretty much up to the standards you'd have to do down in hurricane country their roofs are made to last a lifetime they give you the best warranty in the industry as i say frequently i've had one of the roofs on my home for over 20 years now and not called them once not even once with a single problem we have one of the roofs on shades of green my business partner they have roof a metal a southwest metal roofing systems roof on their home they're such good roofs they're good looking they're very reasonably priced and they're going to save you money on your energy bill every month because they're so energy efficient plus most homeowners insurance companies will give you a discount on your homeowners insurance because they know they're not going to have to come out and replace your roof. Learn more. There are lots of choices as far as color, as far as styles, and you can learn all about that by simply giving them a call at 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and straight back to the phone lines. It's going to be Dave and Marie. Dave is first in line. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Bob. 
Good morning. Um, we had about three crowns and a visit to the dental surgeon up the road from you last fall, so there was no money for fertilizer or compost. <laughs> so, um, I understand that, yep. So what one would you do now? Well, uh, when was the last time you fertilized? Last fall. Okay. Well, uh, the, um, I, I put compost, I believe, and fertilizer uh, a year ago this past fall. Okay. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Um, is your yard in good shape or is your yard still struggling from the summer? Um, most of it's pretty decent. Okay. Um, if if the yard is in decent shape, uh, I would just fertilize. If the yard is struggling, I'd skip the fertilizer and just do the compost. Uh, if it's a choice of one or the other, I just, you know, if it, uh, uh, if it looks pretty good, compost benefits your yard for several years. And if, if your soil's really bad, if your yard's really struggling, yeah, doing compost every year would be a great idea. If your yard looks pretty good and seems to be doing fairly well, I think you could skip that labor and that expense and just, you know, put on a good organic fertilizer and, you know, look forward to a good spring. And that was the correct answer because I didn't want to spread the compost. <laughs> <laughs> well, the honest uh, the answer I give you is going to be the honest answer to the best of my knowledge, not not what you want, because there are plenty of people that would rather not hear what I have to tell them. But uh, in your case, I think uh, if we're by yard, that's what I would do. Is there such a thing as a, as a summer rye? Someone was speaking to me yesterday about a summer ryegrass. Is there such a thing? Do you live in Michigan? No. So yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, there are many cool season grasses, and South Texas does not have a cool summer season. So yeah, there are a lot of things that uh, my friends in Wyoming can grow that you know friends in the Northeast can grow that uh, uh, you're just throwing your money away on down here. And ryegrass is and not what, a summertime grass. How soon would you put out the winter rye? Normally we start planting it in we start planting it in about October. Um, I mean, if you're looking at pure mud, you can plant it right now. Uh, it's going to so-called perennial forms, which really aren't perennial, are definitely more heat tolerant. And if you plant it today, you'd have green grass probably up until the middle of June or the first of July when it dies out. But where people are looking to overseed a yard for winter, depending on what the weather's doing, probably early October. Uh, on up through the first of the year, you've got a pretty good planting window there. Yeah, the last couple summers are making me consider just living with winter rye for, you know, eight months out of the year and then let it get <laughs> ugly for the four. Well, uh, there, you know, there, there are other options and, uh, in the heat, you can always plant Bermuda from seed, which is pretty cheap and easy, but, uh, yeah, answer better still may be to put in a ground cover. I can't see your yard, so I don't know. I can't give you 
you know, 100% sure. of a, what I know will be an accurate answer, but uh, I'm more in favor of perennials, of uh, ground covers, things like that, because they use a third as much water or less, and uh, they're a whole lot less maintenance once you get them established and growing. So I think everybody probably needs a little bit of grass for their kids and their pets. But uh, most people have way too much of it, and uh, they're, in my opinion, some much better options that take the summers better and uh, uh, don't break, break your back quite as much. What kind of ground covers would you put in a very um, large? If you, if you want an evergreen ground cover, Asian jasmine, if you don't care if it goes away in the winter, there's a plant called dwarf plumbago or serratostigma. It's not a plumbago at all. Uh, its name is Ceratostigma plumbagioides, which means literally looks like plumbago, dark blue flowers. I think I watered mine twice all summer long. Uh, it goes away in the winter. It gets a pretty red color in the fall, dies down to ground level, but it comes back very dependably. And uh, it just, I don't know, it's a wonderful plant, except for the fact it goes away in the winter. Blooms in the summer, it'll grow in the shade, it'll grow in the sun. I don't know of any insect pests that ever bother it. Uh, even the deer don't like it very much. So uh, uh, dwarf lumbago is an outstanding ground cover. But like I say, you're going to be looking at bare dirt in the winter months. Of course, uh, you could, you know, might throw a little bit of winter rye out over that. But, um, and then in things that are perennials that are not really ground covers, they're spreading lantanas. There are many different forms of salvia. Um, there are, oh, you know, just a myriad of different flowers that are, that are drought tolerant from uh, the five nerds daisy to zexmania, uh, to the upright lantanas to uh, the list just goes on and on. So, uh, a lot of options to grass. They're a little bit more work to plant. Uh, but instead of, you know, being out there mowing it once a week, you're out there, you know, once a year cutting it back for the ones that freeze back and throwing a little fertilizer around now and then. But a, a perennial bed is a lot prettier and a whole lot less work than lawn. Okay. Very good. I think that answers my question. Hey, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You get out and have a have a good weekend, and I hope your team wins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have better things to do than sit in front of a TV on a beautiful uh, Sunday this time of year, but uh, I know an awful lot of my listeners out there are going to be tied to that tube. So if that's what you do, enjoy, and I know we'll talk again. And, Marie, hang on just a second. Got to get one more break in here this hour. I get to talk to you for a moment about my friends at Connecticut. Yes, I know about water softeners because I've had a Connecticut in my home for many, many years. Actually, it's in my barn, but it services uh, my laundry center and things like that. And Brad Besser talked me into checking out Connecticut many years ago. And uh, I learned what I repeat to you on a regular basis, that there are two types of water softeners. One runs on electricity, one runs on the kinetic energy in the water. If you got electricity, you have the potential for problems with power outages. When you have a computer, so to speak, in your water softener, you have a potential for having something go wrong with that, with power surges and lightning strikes. Your kinetic doesn't have one of those either. It has a brain, so to speak, and it knows to only recharge when the rosin needs to be recharged. So it's not like that electronic model. 
bottle that's going to recharge on a preset schedule and waste a lot of salt, a lot of water, and a lot of money. I love my Kinetico. I'm sure you can tell that. And I highly recommend it to you if you're in the market for a water softener or a new water softener. Check out Kinetico. They'll even let you try it for 90 days before you pay for it. It's as easy as going to KineticoSA.com or giving them a call. Check out the water softener that I prefer, and that is a Kinetico. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Let's get straight back to the phone lines. I believe Marie is next in line. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. Good morning. Several questions. I'll make it quick. So I live in the Fredericksburg area. Okay. Three years ago this spring, I planted two maple trees, a cadu and a big tooth. Okay. And they were only like eight inches high. I got them from a reputable nursery. And one of them died. I don't know which one it was because I didn't label them. But the okay. other one is all, has only grown to about a foot high. It's branched out a mm-hmm. lot, but it just sits there. Is that normal? Is it root-bound? Um, it's And you've planted it out. How much sun does it get? Um, all day. Okay, it probably, with the maples that you mentioned, it probably would be happier if it got sun in the morning, shade in the afternoon. It may be, since it's still a very small tree, worth transplanting. If you want a tree that will tolerate the sun much better, go to the Big Tooth Maple. It's by far, in fact, it's really the only one that I recommend where you're looking for a large-growing maple. So many of these others, you know, they came out, they supposedly had great promise, and most of them simply have turned out to be you know, not any good at all in the full sun, and even in the shade, they haven't lived up to their to their billing, so to speak. So if you want a maple in the sun, probably go down. I think there are a couple of uh, nurseries down in the Bandera area that are going to have uh, the big-tooth maples. You might find it at Friendly Natives right there in Fredericksburg. Uh, but the big-tooth maple is the one that you want to plant up in that area. Uh, your other one, I would probably, you know, do it today or do it sometime very soon. Get it out of that blazing sun. Get it into an area where it has decent soil, morning sun, and afternoon shade. And uh, I think it will live up to its potential. It's uh, never going to be a real huge tree, never going to make a big full shade tree. Um, it's just not that well adapted to our soils and our climate. But uh, out on the sunny area, your big tooth maples, and that's the same one that grows over in the Lost Maple State Park. It should do very well for you in Fredericksburg. Okay. And then I also planted a possum hall holly. A great choice. About three years ago, and it mm-hmm. just it's a slow growing. Is that normal too? It is. Uh, they are slow growing. All hollies are relatively slow growing. And last summer, when most plants should have been just thriving and putting on growth, it was just so blasted hot that the plants were just hanging on trying to survive. So I'm not surprised uh, with really, literally just about any plants when people tell me they didn't grow much in the past year. Um, I'm just happy for things that survived the kind of summer we had last year. If we get back to a more typical hill country summer, uh, your possum haw, in a good year, it can put on a foot of growth. It's it's not a fast-growing plant by any means, but it's a plant that can, 
you know, live for many, many years. And, of course, they're so beautiful with the red berries after they drop their foliage. So not surprised it did grow a lot. But uh, uh, especially if you got the variety called Warren Red, uh, that's one of the best ever for the hill country. And uh, long term, I think it'll make an excellent plant for you. Okay, Warren Red. And then I have a, a wildflower garden in the corner of my vegetable garden. Uh-huh. And the what I call winter grass mm-hmm. is taking over my little wildflower seedlings, <laughs> you know, my blue right. bonnets, poppies, uh, right. larkspur. Is there any way to control that winter grass? By <sighs> it, pulling it yeah. Up? what my grandmother called elbow grease. Um, You know, they're giving us a pretty good chance of rain over the next couple of days. The good news is the winter grass, rescue grass, whatever you want to call it, generally pulls up pretty easily if you're able to get it before it gets too big. The problem is, you know, and I was pulling this yesterday here at the nursery where it was coming up, you almost have to put your thumb on the ground so you don't pull up too much and damage your wildflower seedlings. But uh, there's nothing safe to spray. Um, Had we talked a month ago, I would have told you to get out and, uh, you know, mow down your winter grass. About the only wildflowers that, you know, sprout really early are your bluebonnets. But uh, many times in late fall, other than blue bonnets, you're able to spray the area with uh, uh, vinegar and orange oil, kill out the winter grass as it tries to come up. But at this point, um, about all you can do is pull it where you can. So if I wanted to control it, it needs to be sprayed early fall before the little seedlings, wildflower seedlings come up. As soon as the winter grass germinates, as soon as it looks like a little grass, uh, that's when you want to spray it, pull it, do whatever. With the orange oil and vinegar. Right. Okay, one last question. I have a a hen house with chickens, Uh and I clean it periodically, and I just take the manure and throw it on my flower beds. Okay, and let me tell you a little bit more about that, but let me get uh, Jimmy to put you on hold because we need to talk a little bit more. And I've got to go to news. We'll be right back here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, we'll grab one of those lines. Looks like James, Omar, and John are ahead of you and we're going to talk to marie just a little bit more first but uh uh jimmy i think she's on line number three let's get her back up for a minute and we were talking about uh we were talking about your hen house and you were starting to tell me about what you do with the manure so every uh month or so i just clean it out and throw the manure on my flower beds Uh uh-huh uh, somebody told me that needed to cure first before I use it for <laughs> anything. Is that true? Well, in most cases, uh, if you're if you're getting a large volume of it, uh, it's what we would say is a little hot. It's a little strong. It can burn things. But my question to you: How is it working? How does your flower bed look? They look great then don't change the thing. Go right on what you're doing. And uh, uh, it obviously, you know, you're not generating cubic yards of this material. And, uh, uh, you know, if you decide you want more chickens and more eggs, yeah, it probably would be better to, in effect, compost it a little while, let it uh, decompose a little bit. But if what you're doing is working, don't let anybody tell you to do something differently. As uh, 
old trite con- expression is, if it ain't broken, don't try to fix it. <laughs> and, so, and I can throw that on a vegetable garden? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I, in general, I would tell you don't put it right on the plants. Put it next to the plants. Put it on the surface of the ground. If you mulch your garden or add a little compost regularly, uh, put your chicken manure down. I mean, most of the fertilizers you buy these days are, are if not chicken, they're at least poultry manure. So uh, you're just you're just getting it fresh from the plant, so to speak. And uh, uh, I, I can say I wouldn't dump it right up against the stems of your plants. But if it works for your flowers, it's going to work for your vegetables. And there are no negatives to it. Just, you know, wash your root vegetables. You know, wash off those potatoes you'll probably be planting this week or whatever. But uh uh, just keep on doing what you're doing. You're you're doing it right. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. I appreciate it. All right, uh, let's move on with phone calls. And like I say, it's going to be James and Omar and John. And James is up first. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Well, I'm off to a good start. How's Farmer James doing? Well, I haven't got started yet, but. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a good start. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. It's a reasonable temperature out there, lots of moisture in the air, and uh, your feet may get muddy, but I think it's going to be a pretty good day for gardening. Yes, sir. Um, I called with a question. Uh, I was asked to start some acorn squash. Uh-huh. And uh, I wouldn't know acorn squash if it came up and bit me on the leg. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. Well, it's it's a long season squash, you know. I, I really don't like the term uh, winter squash and summer squash, but technically it is what people call winter squash, but it certainly doesn't mean it grows in the winter. It just means that uh, if you live up north where the people write the books, uh, if you plant it in the spring, it's not ready until the next winter because most of uh, those winter squashes uh, take minimum of 90 and sometimes 130, 140 days to produce. And uh, acorn squash, I'd have to look at a seed package to tell you, but it seems to me like it's about a 110-day squash. So, uh, you know, it's probably good. Uh, squash seedlings transplant pretty well, unlike, you know, root crops. So, uh uh, if you can get a little head start and have a little bit bigger plant to set out, uh, you'll get your, you'll get your squash a little bit sooner. But, uh, whereas, as you well know, your zucchinis and your patty pans and your crooknecks, they're going to be producing in, uh, 45 days. And this stuff's going to take a lot longer. So, uh, plant it in a part of the garden that you don't have to disturb it because it's going to be well into the summer before it even thinks about blooming and put her producing squash but yeah it's acorn squash is you know about like your hubbard or your spaghetti squash or uh it's just it has a much tougher skin it keeps much better it's one of those squash you can store for an extended period of time but uh uh good choice but it certainly grows differently than uh the old zucchini and crookneck that we all grow Uh, do you have a recommended variety um not really. Just Hubbard is about the only name I know about. I don't know that I've ever really seen. I'd I'd have to 
I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, if uh, your big seed companies will have it a lot, but if you go to Baker Creek or somewhere like that, uh, you'll get you'll get a good variety. It's one of those squashes I don't think they've really improved much over the years. The old varieties are still really good. And uh, the good news is that like most of your winter squashes, it has a very thin stem, and rarely does it have a problem with that squash vine borer because the stem's so small, the uh, the borers can't really get inside of it very well. There's a vining variety, and then there's a more of a bushing variety in the seed catalog. I, I've never grown the bushing variety. Uh, the vining variety, I think, will give you more squash. It will take up a little bit more space in the garden, and it will occupy that space for a little longer, but, uh, not going to condemn something I haven't tried. The bush variety might be just fine. It's, uh, I'm just not familiar with one. Okay, that gives me some good information to go forward with. Uh, I'm but glad, start, it, uh, start it just the same way you would your summer squash. But uh, um, it, it, the only real, well, it's a different squash. Like I say, it's a real tough-skinned squash that stores for a long time. Uh, but as far as the growth, the only real difference is that it probably gets bigger most of our summer squashes, and it certainly takes a lot longer to uh, bloom and set fruit. Okay, well, thanks for the information this morning, Bob. I really appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Everything growing well for you? You getting those transplants going and uh, getting ready to be real busy, I know. Yeah, we do the squash, cucumbers, and uh, uh, vegetables that need to be transplanted next month. We start them in... uh, inch and a half soil blocks and then they're once they're germinated they go into the four inch pots so it's it's a lot of fun for the feeble-minded (laughs) oh that's uh, that's gardening in general uh let me get your take on something that a friend and customer uh that i had never really thought about it a lot but uh when you've got your seed trays going at what point do you start fertilizing them I usually push everything pretty hard with uh, seaweed until they they're get, they get up green and growing, and then uh, I've uh, switched over to uh, uh, Fox Farms uh, grow big and mm-hmm. push them in the veget vegetable. Well, if you wanna if if you wanna try a little experiment, and I'm I'm going by what a friend told me but this guy's a great gardener and above all he keeps really good records but he said that in researching it he found that a tomato is one of the few plants that can really use nutrients from the day those cotyledons come out of the ground and he said so many people and he said he used to hit wait until the plants had the first true leaves before he'd hit them with the liquid fertilizer and he said this past year just as an experiment, he started hitting them with uh, liquid fertilizer, you know, as soon as they emerged, literally, when they didn't have a true leaf, when there was nothing but seed leaves on them. And he said he got stocker, stockier, stronger, better plants than it ever had before. So uh, I passed that along just, uh, like I say, I've had a chance to really research it, but he said there's research out there that says that tomatoes are the one vegetable that you really can and should start fertilizing earlier if you want a real stocky transplant. So if you have a chance, check that out and see what you think of it. 
Yeah, I've got uh, some liquid fertilizer, and I know how to use it, man. We're going <laughs> to. Well, try it a little earlier on your seedlings and see if you think it uh, if it makes a difference. And, uh, James, above all, have a great weekend, and I know we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bob. Yes, sir. Thank you. Omar's next. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Off to a good start. Kind of a drizzly morning out there. I don't know that I'll be going for a long walk, but I don't have that option anyway. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good day though. I love this uh, weather where you don't have to wear that heavy coat and the wind just doesn't bite through you. So it's going to be a pretty good day to be out there. Yeah, it should be. We're I'm uh, I'm running a little late. We're going to work some cattle on the New Agents River right outside of George West. So hopefully the weather will hold up and let us get done. Well, that's uh, you got your work cut out for you. I was talking to a fellow who had uh, some of their cattle decided to visit some of my cattle recently, <laughs> and it was a, it was a bit of an effort. But uh, as I told him, you can't make a cow do anything. You got to let them think it's their idea, and uh, it's uh, you know it's it's a great tradition. I have a very good friend that participates in the uh, uh, longest. Uh, continuously operated cattle, cattle drive up the Green River in Wyoming every year. They, they run several thousand head up, uh, about a hundred, 125 miles of river. So, uh, wow. it's a, it's a great, great Western tradition that, uh, today's kids wouldn't even know what you were talking about with the cattle drive. So <laughs> you get out and get your cows done. And then what are you going to do that I can advise you on? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, <clears throat> I was late on on trimming my asparagus back in the winter time or early fall, and I, uh-huh. I, I finally did. I cut it, and uh, in about four days, it shot up foot foot and a half. Right? So I, I, am I am I to let let that continue throughout the summer? No, no. It, uh, it, it when you start letting it get big, it stops making many new shoots. Now, if it's a okay. foot and a half tall, you can probably you know snap the upper six inches of it off and uh and get something that you can eat but uh with asparagus when you harvest you harvest everything that comes up and when you stop harvesting you completely stop harvesting so uh if this is a bed that's been there for a while i hate to tell you again you need to cut it back again you can probably use the tops but then start watching it real carefully because every day you're going to have some sprout up and uh it needs to be harvested by the second day after it comes out of the ground no, okay. Now this is this is uh, some some seed that I started last spring. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, it's a diameter is is very very small on this. Stuff. Well, then in that case, uh, if these are young plants, yeah, just don't do anything. You know, we usually wait till the second or third year before we start harvesting at all. So at this point, fertilize, let it grow up, let it make the ferns. The bigger and stronger the plants get this year, the longer you can harvest from them next year. So, uh, oh yeah, if these are new plants, then. Uh, Water it, fertilize it, encourage it to get as big as it possibly can. Okay, so I'm not I'm not trimming until until Thanksgiving or something like that. Uh, not till this time next year. Probably around the probably around New Year's Day is a good day to do it. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, last weekend I heard y'all talking about a particular variety of jalapeno jalafuego, and I've, I've, we've grown it several several years. And it's it's a good little pepper. It produces a bunch of them on a on a. I'm on a deep glad to plant. hear that. Yeah, I'm always looking for something new, and that that was a new one to me. So I'm glad that I'm talking to somebody that knows something about it. That's that's good good information, and I appreciate it. 
and I'm trying the Jedi. I heard that. I heard y'all talking about that one. And me being a Star Wars fan, as well, I've got to do that one. There's no no way not. <laughs> yep. And as long as we don't get that Death Star summer, then uh, yeah. uh, it should do yeah. well for you. Have, you. have you grown Shishitos? Have you tried those things yet? I have. I have. Yeah, we, we've grown them uh, on and off here and there. The The first year was, uh, was an experiment or quarter disaster because they were too... I guess they were too close to my Serranos, and uh-huh. uh, about every fifth pepper, we were, you know, fixing the dial nine one one because they were they were just stupid hot. <laughs> but, but it was it wasn't every one of them, you know. It was just yeah. every few. So the next year we I got them away from it, and and again that's another one that just produces an enormous. Oh amount yeah, of on a small plant, and uh, mm-hmm. if you do like. Uh, my friends up at the Dodging Duck do. They blister them in an iron skillet and serve them with a ranch dressing or actually mm-hmm. make something they call the cilantro lime dressing. And that's uh, that's that's one of those things you can eat a lot of without suffering, you know, when you when yeah, you get sure. to growing down. And I just I tell people because everybody wants to be successful. And if you want to grow peppers and you can't be successful with shishitos, we're going to have to have a talk because that's one of the <laughs> easiest and most productive yeah. little peppers I've ever grown. <laughs> they are. They really are. Well, all right, sir. That's all I had. Well, Omar, you get out and be safe out there and uh, get those cows moving, and we'll talk again soon. All righty. We'll see you. All right, sir. Thank you. John, hang on just a second. You're up next, but it looks like I get to talk to you for just a minute about uh, my good friends at Wild Birds Unlimited. And I always enjoy talking about Kyle and his staff because simply. Uh, they just they love wildlife. They love nature. They know birds better than anything, but uh, they can answer an awful lot of your questions about uh, your backyard, your backyard wildlife, so to speak. And they will tell you the scouts are here. Scouts are already arriving for the purple martins. And if this is a year you wanted to attract purple martins to your landscape, you better get those houses up real soon. And they can certainly help you. You want to play that Don song tape? You want to get those martins coming in? And uh, they call it scouts but they're actually just young unmated pairs are always the first ones to show up but uh you know what i'm telling you is if you want purple martins and you don't have your houses up you better get to wild birds unlimited today of course they've got the great things the baffles to put on uh, the birdhouse poles they've got all kinds of nesting boxes and they've got all kinds of uh you know, good food, so to speak. They know that birds eat different things in the winter than they do in the summer, and that's why they have a winter seed blend, plus all the different kinds of suet cake that will benefit your birds. Don't go to the grocery store. They're going to try to sell you the same low quality year-round. Wild Birds Unlimited always deals in uh, top quality with the appropriate things for the season. Got a lot of related accessories, too. I bought some deflectors to uh, keep the rain off of... uh, you know, some of the some of the suet blocks and some of the cake materials we put out. They've got the best in feeders, most of which come with a lifetime warranty. And again, they can answer all your questions. They've been doing this for a lot of years. They'll help you bring in the birds you want and exclude the ones you don't. But it's more than just birding. They've got a great selection of gift merchandise. They've got a lot of ways to offer water to your birds. It's just always fun to visit Wild Birds Unlimited. The store I'm talking about is out in the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side that faces uh, Northwest Military. You're going to look at it from a distance and say, well, that's not a very big place. You're going to walk through the door and say, wow. It's a really neat place staffed by really nice people with really top quality products. Wild Birds Unlimited. 
South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like it's going to be John and Shirley and Kimberly, Kimberly and Judy. John's first in line. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Well, I, had, uh, uh, I had Ed or Tree Service come out and do some air spading for me. Uh-huh. And just right off the bat, I just want to say really, really good people. Michael come out, went through the project <laughs> to deal with me. Told me what I could do to help save me money. You know, they could do it, but if I if I did it, I could save money. I mean, very very um, thorough and 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 super super nice people. That's why they're so, the only tree service I recommend for anything complex. And it's funny you say that. We had them out doing some air spading for us about six weeks ago. So. Uh, uh, yeah, they're good people. I'm glad you had a good experience with them. The only thing wrong is you sometimes have to have to wait a while to get them because they are busy. Uh, there's some other folks I recommend if you just need a tree removed. But boy, when it comes to arborist, it is sure the best. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot of problems with these trees. When they planted the trees, they didn't remove any of the lifting bands or or anything like that, and just yeah. Put them a little deeper and throw dirt over them, so I didn't know. And I mean, there's, you know, it. Well, he had an air spade just to get down where we could get the bands cut off, the water yep. cage left on it. it. It it's a mess. But well, I'm glad you realized the problem before it killed your trees. That's that's the good well, news, and uh, I'm glad glad you're correcting it. Yeah, it. it I don't. I, I think I may have been too late on some of them, but anyway. My question is, because, like say, some of these uh, are, the flares are like 12 inches deep. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they were telling me to go ahead and leave the surrounding ground around them for about a year. Uh-huh. And make, you know, take it all away. So what I'm, what I'm wondering, Bob, is when I fertilize, do I fertilize down around the flares? No, no, you're, you're, it's, and that's a great question, but trees tend to absorb the majority of their water pretty close to the trunk, pretty close to the flare, certainly within 10 feet or so of the tree itself, but they absorb most of their nutrient a lot further out than that through the little fine hair roots and probably more out toward the drip line, so uh, I would not. I would not do any fertilizing probably within five to ten feet of the trunk, except on a very young tree. That's a different story. But on your mature trees, no, you ought to be. You ought to be out practically to the drip line, and then a few feet on either side of that to apply your fertilizer. Okay. It, 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 when I, it's a, they're more like in a, a natural uh, setting rather than you know yard. Well, I got something. Sure. Yard, but. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the weeds, that's what I was worried about. And I guess I've maybe over the last couple of three years that they've been in the ground been maybe doing it a little too close. So Well, um, it, it hasn't hurt anything, but it hasn't benefited the trees as much either. Recognize that the important thing is having air circulation around the root flare and, you know, up the trunk from that point. Um, so unfortunately you you really shouldn't pile anything around the trees uh you know keep that soil pulled back ultimately you may want to you know kind of just make a big kind of a saucer shaped 
indentation that slopes down gradually to the root flare on all sides. You're probably going to take out a few little fibrous roots when you do that, but that's not going to hurt a thing. If you say, I just I can't really do that, then you're going to have to build a little silo you know, around the trunks and give them a few inches of air space because that trunk's going to grow and eventually fill it up. But the uh, only important thing is having having air circulation around the trunk from the root flare up, and you don't necessarily have to do a huge excavation to do that, whether you're using an air spade or a shovel. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that's got me taken care of on that, then. And, and uh, the... Uh, I, I went ahead and had them do it around like some American holly and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the cherry laws and stuff. There. Yeah, I yeah. Guess, does that? What I guess I'm trying to ask is, does every tree, for the most part, have a root flare? Um, every woody plant, shrub, or tree usually will have uh, the equivalent of a root flare. A palm tree does not. Um, a cycad does not. But those are, they're in a whole different class of plants. They're monocots rather than dicots. Their stem is totally structured differently. They can actually be buried. We dug up a palm tree or tried to dig up a palm tree, eventually succeeded uh, down along the Guadalupe one time on my partner's property. And uh, we had to go down through about, three feet of alluvial fill before we even found the roots on that. So, uh, uh, yeah, any woody plant, whether it's a holly, a pittosporum, photenia, whatever, they have a root flare. It won't be as pronounced necessarily as it will in a shade tree, uh, but every woody shrub is the same. Their structure of the stem above and below the ground level is different, and that root flare needs to be exposed, whether it's a boxwood, a holly, or, uh, you know, a live oak. And also... Because of these bands that were on there, and they were all neoprene and pulled very tight onto the yeah, yeah. Roots, I got a, I got a, a lot of girdling. Mm-hmm. So, do you need to put uh, paint on all of them? Like I said, I've got a, a n- numerous different kinds of the Chinese pistachios, live oaks, uh, all kinds of stuff. Well, so, you you don't. The only ones you need to seal the wounds on are red oaks and live oaks. Uh, you okay. need to get those bands out as much as possible. Uh, but red oaks and live oaks are the only ones that are going to be badly impacted by oak wilt. And it doesn't have to be pruning paint. It can be anything that seals up that wound for 10 days or so. Beyond that point, it's healed to where they would not be infectable, so to speak. So don't even give it a thought on your on your photenias uh, and things like that. But red oaks and live oaks, yeah, if that wound is going to be above ground and exposed, uh, just common old, uh, you know, spray paint is just fine. Just anything that seals that wound over for 10 days so the beetles can't get to it. Okay. Bob, I appreciate it, and you have a great day. And, again, if anybody wonders yeah, I- about it. There's no, there's no one it. <laughs> well, just remember, if you need them, plan a couple of months in advance because it'll take them a while to get to you. But I'm so glad you had a good experience. I certainly have with them as well. So appreciate it, John. And uh, Shirley, hang on just a second. You will be next in line, followed by Kimberly and Jody. I get to take a break here for just a minute and talk to you about my friends over at Fanix. 
And that's always such a pleasure. Mark and Mike, and they've got the fourth generation of the Fanick family working in the nursery now. And uh, Fanick's is certainly our oldest nursery here in San Antonio, celebrating 85 years over there, same location over on Home Green Road, just a couple of blocks off South WW White. And Lots of things going on over there. They're having a 30% off sale on all their house plants, and that goes all the way through February. Uh, on their tomatoes, they've now got 40 varieties, four zero, 40 varieties of tomatoes and 15 varieties of peppers. Uh, they've got all kinds of other things, citrus and berries and grapes. And uh, by the way, they've got a new shipment of the Ego lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment. Uh, it's just amazing all the things that you'll find over at Fanix. They also have the Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories there. All the winter vegetables you're looking for and uh, getting those summer ones going too. Plus they have all the organic fertilizers and compost and other things like that that you may need. Uh, if you want to check out all their upcoming events and sales and things they have planned to celebrate 85 years in business, go to their website, Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. Go see them. They're open seven days a week, only closed on major holidays. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone line. Shirley's next in line. Good morning, Shirley. Uh, good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. Another tree, another tree crest questions. I okay. have uh, Monterey oaks. I have Montezuma cypress and pecans. I have the the roots are all exposed, and around them is dirt, black dirt. Can I cover that up with river rock? To keep the mud, my dog chases squirrels it's wet <laughs> <Just> <laughs> and brings the mud in the house. Can yeah, I put up, river rock around that? You don't want to put it against the trunk, but out over the roots, it's just fine. Just don't put any of these fabrics or plastic or anything underneath it. They don't work, and they're real hard on the trees because they don't allow any oxygen through there, and uh, they hold too much water underneath. So, yeah, river rock's fine, but no so-called weed block. And I don't have to put mulch underneath the river rock? No, no reason to. My Trees might like husband. it, but my it's son, not mandatory. My son thinks it's going to it'll make it too hot, but it won't. Okay, so that's no, great. not at all. Uh, all right, now I need some shrubs that are about up to 10 feet tall that are tougher than the ones I had with the cold and uh-huh. evergreen. Do you have a list that I can get from you? Ah, uh, we don't really have a list, but I can I can tell you what several good ones are. Um, uh, that probably would be a good thing for us to make a list sometime. There's several large hollies. Uh, there's Nellie Stevens. There's Foster's Holly. Uh, these are large-leaved hollies. Uh, standard Burford will get up to ten feet. Dwarf Burford only goes about five. But uh, there are several evergreen hollows hollies in that group that have beautiful red berries through the winter months cold hardy down to probably 10 below zero uh the only disadvantages are a little slower growing but uh they're certainly cold hardy excellent plants uh small leaved hollies uh standard yopon holly uh can be trimmed to be a small tree or can be trimmed to be a big shrub and it is very cold hardy Japanese yew, uh, not to be confused with the poisonous northern yew, the Japanese yew or Podocarpus, uh, is a, is not a toxic plant and, uh, it grows to that size easily. Um, those are, those are probably the most cold hardy 
shrubs. Now, mountain laurel certainly grows to 10 feet, and it's evergreen, and it's very cold-hardy. So uh, even though I wouldn't call it a shrub, it's it's a bushy tree, so to speak. And so that should very definitely be on the list. If you can find the old-fashioned, what we call Chinese photinia, not the red tips. Those things are worthless. But the old-fashioned Chinese photinia blooms with pretty white flowers, very cold-hardy, and very disease-resistant. So I'd make that another potential choice. Okay, that sounds good. Another question. Can I still uh, plant my beets? Getting a little late, but uh, if you think it's going to be a while before summer's heat gets here, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, Are you growing them for the beet or for the greens or for both? Uh, Well, mostly the beets. Okay. And I have the old-fashioned red beets. That's what (laughs) I... Yeah, good old... Detroit dark red still a variety that is I don't think it's ever been improved on in the last hundred years so uh yeah but I would get it done soon I mean we're not we're just finishing the first week of February uh beets are about a 50-day crop so you still have plenty of time to harvest some beets for it it's too hot and onions I can do that now absolutely I do them from plants rather than seed uh, people mistakenly call them sets, but uh, sets are a little bulb that was interrupted in growth, and I've never had any luck with them here. But those little onion plants you buy in a bunch of 70 to 100 plants, yeah, plant them this afternoon. And do you have them? We do. Good. Okay, it sounds most great. Of, most of your good nurseries will. I know Phoenix and Rainbow do as well, but uh, if you come in our direction, we'd love to see you. Oh, yes. I am. I'm certainly doing that. Thank you, Bob. Have a good <laughs> you, day. You do the same, Shirley. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go ahead and talk to Kimberly. Good morning, Kimberly. Good morning. Good morning. Can, um, okay, then. I want to talk to you about Texas purple thistle. <laughs> I am overrun with it this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's... How uh do I get rid of it? I mean, I hoe and as soon as I see them. I start. I walk around with with a hoe, um, and I tend to do about an hour of work, and usually an hour, um, maybe every couple of weeks, and I have it done. This year, I could do it every day. Well, and you're probably going to have to do it every day for a while. They one plant they say can make up to five hundred thousand seed. And apparently the weather was just right because uh, I was out weed-eating around some of my yard or line trimmer using. <laughs> it's, uh, and and I don't, I've never seen as many of them coming up. Uh, the secret is whatever you're doing, and I, I trust you're using a grubbing hoe rather than a garden hoe, but if you can chop right. down and get them, get them an inch below the surface, they won't come back. But this was just the year that, you know, some years they're, they're very cyclical, and some years, for whatever reason, not much of the seed sprouts, but it must have been an awfully good year from the thistle's point of view because, like you, I've never seen so many of them come up and... Uh, um, I, I I don't know a better way, um, and you just have to think of it as exercise instead of work. But um, that's what I do. Yeah. But I, Had, I yesterday yesterday I was out there and I was wondering. Okay, I start getting crazy. <laughs> I wanted to um, I wanted to go and buy a flamethrower and start burning them away. <laughs> well, but then probably if you did that, they'd just come back out. 
But um, again, if it's an area that you mow, if you mow them off four or five times, they will die. So nothing says you have to, you know, chop them individually. But my problem is in the areas that I rely on mowing, then somehow life, uh, as Dave Ramsey says, life happens, and I miss a week, and then all of a sudden I've got them up with flowers on them. And uh, once they have the flowers, the seed is practically mature by the time the flower opens, and then you're just having, you know, putting off your problems till next year. So uh, keep on what you're doing, and um, you'll have the healthiest uh, upper body musculature of anybody you know. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. I was hoping there was something magic I could do, but I guess not. <laughs> I well, <laughs> the the magic is in in having kids that uh, you know still believe in hard work and uh, somebody that you can get to help you. But uh, uh, there's no there's no magic bullet that you can go out there. If you get them really young, uh, you can kill them with vinegar and orange oil, but with it warming up or or permanent grasses are starting to come back and uh uh the thistles are uh, i I don't you know that big one at least you can chop it and get rid of it the one i really hate is this little malta star thistle that we're starting to see more of around Um, in the future if it's in a lawn area putting on some compost in this uh fall really works as a pre-emergent herbicide it keeps a lot of those seeds from germinating but uh this late in the season, most of the seed has already germinated, so it's too late. But uh, if you can, October, November, if you can get half an inch of compost out over these areas where they're a problem, you'll have very few to deal with next year. Oh, I have a problem that I have acreage, so yeah. there's no way. <laughs> you and, you and me both. <laughs> I tried to get them, and, and I tried to leave some of them for the birds and the butterflies, but oh, this year they're... I think I'm going to hate them. No, you get every one of them. Believe me, there are going to be plenty of them on the neighbor's place for the birds and butterflies. <laughs> and uh, you put out the you put out those good wild birds, unlimited feeders and seed and things like that, and put out a butterfly okay, feeder or two. <laughs> yeah, you you can attract them in without leaving the thistles. So get out there and get after them. Okay, then. Thank you very much. You are certainly welcome. Ah, uh, let me see here. What time? Uh, let's get our last break of the hour in here, and then Judy and Anna will be up next. Jimmy, I don't have a live, so run those recordings, and we'll get back to phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Judy and then Anna. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, okay. My backyard used to be nice thick, kind of thick, uh, St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. And then about five years ago, I put compost on it, and it started getting a little bit of the oxalis. Okay. And then we came into into the freeze and the two hot summers, and it's just completely taken over. And someone has recommended that I put um, corn glutamine on it, but I'm thinking it's too late now. Yeah, you're thinking right. Well, the I guess if there's any good about oxalis, um, it is actually a soil builder. Uh, oxalis, the clovers, are legumes, and they can grow and flourish in soil that has gotten very hard. And, um, you know, unless you're 
putting some compost down with some regularity and uh, then it doesn't help when we have these blistering summers and really cold winters. The soil does get compacted and this is why your oxalis is thriving and your grass is a little slow to come out. Um, I would fertilize, I would, you know, if it's in the budget, put a little more compost down and we're just not warm enough for your regular, uh, do you have St. Augustine, Bermuda, what's your permanent grass? It's St. Augustine, but, you know, I walked it yesterday, um, and it's just, I'm just afraid there's not much. It's, it's like, really, because I had the guy coming, because I've got, like, all these oak trees, so I had mm-hmm. him blow all the oak leaves to yep. kind of keep ahead. And so I could really see the ground, you know, okay. and I'm just really disgusted Saint, with it cause yeah the saint augustine you have is it green now or is it still brown from the winter it's a little i saw some green but there, there's not a whole lot there I, a lot of the, the um what you dookies the um the strings the, the, the runners <laughs> yeah the runners I, I uh-huh. saw the runners, and they look dead. They're brown. Because I thought, hey. well, maybe I'll go out there and spray it with orange oil. Well, and that the vinegar-orange oil mix would be, that's what I was getting around to, uh, if your St. Augustine is missing or if it is still browned out from the winter, uh, it won't hurt to spray it with vinegar and orange oil, and you'll kill the oxalis with that. Uh, long term, good St. Augustine will choke out the oxalis, but it, oxalis starts growing a lot earlier in the spring. I can't tell you how many hundreds of little plants I've pulled up around the nursery in various places. Um, but at this point, yeah, if you do it soon, vinegar and orange oil will kill back the oxalis without hurting your grass. Do fertilize, um, and, you know, let's see how your St. Augustine comes back, but, uh, if you can do a little compost and most definitely do some fertilizer to support the St. Augustine, do so. And uh, vinegar and orange oil will kill the oxalis back and hopefully give your St. Augustine a chance to get started. Once it's up and growing well, it will choke out the oxalis. But remember, the oxalis in, is is improving your soil, so it's not all bad. But there is such um, a thing as too yeah. much oxalis. There's just too much now. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's not like a, a little spot that I used to have. It's just like right. I, I took a picture yesterday. And it's, it's just taken over. And yeah. um, so, well, okay, well, I'll try the vinegar and orange oil and bring in some more compost. That just scares me. That, that's know. what brought the, the weeds into the yard in the first place. Well, it actually, what it did was soften the soil and... Uh, just make it a better place for the weeds to grow. Compost, by its very nature, you, the weed seed don't survive in compost. So um, it just created too good a situation when your grass was weak and all the other seeds said, "Oh my, this is wonderful. Let's let's grow here." But uh, the reason you've got the, the reason you've got the oxalis is your ground was getting hard. Hopefully, it's uh, done its job so you can get rid of the oxalis, but you will have softer soil, and that will help your permanent grass uh, come back and do better. One other question, because, you know, again, people talk about uh, going through, and um, I don't even know what they call it, where they... uh, Aerifying? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you say? It's aerifying or aerating. And that Um, doesn't make sense to me for... uh, 
St. Augustine. No, no it, it doesn't, and uh, most of them use the wrong kind of airifier anyway, uh, but you're right, it's not a good thing for St. Augustine. Do it naturally, maybe put out a little bit of garret juice, uh, put out some more compost when you can. Those things naturally airify the yard rather than something that's going to break up your sprinkler system and not do much good anyway. Yeah, okay. All right, Wilson, thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Get out and have a good weekend, and uh, let's talk to Anna. Good morning, Anna. Hey, hi, Bob. Greetings from Ohio. <laughs> I was going to say, you're you're a long way north of us, but uh, very good morning to you. What's going on today? Yeah, well, got some work to do with some raised beds, and um, that's the big project. We've got some... Uh, treated lumber beds that have lasted 15 years that's good that's that's longer than most of it lasts these days yeah it's time to replace them so we're thinking what what are your suggestions on you know um maybe some cedar or some other material what do you think would be a good i i want you to probably go online and see if you can find EcoVantage. Now, I know they're changing the name. I just learned this week they're going to change the name, and I can't remember what the new name is going to be. But I want you to look for Eco, E-C-O, EcoVantage Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, if you come back uh, to this part of the country to visit, uh, we built one greenhouse, several decks, and several arbors with it. It is not a special kind of wood. It's a specially treated kind of wood, but it's not treated chemically. Um, it is super, super kill dried. It's dried to the point it uh, bakes carbohydrates out of it, so termites don't like it. When you feel the wood, it feels very smooth. It's actually sealed the surface of the wood to where water can't get in. Even when you cut it, screw it, drill it, do all the things we do with it as carpenters. Um, They've had it in ground contact in East Texas for 30 years, no rotting. Pilings in swamps for 30 years, no rotting. I'm estimating it's probably going to last 50 years. And uh, it's, it's a process. It's not a kind of wood. What we're using and... It's uh, I've, again. I wish you could see all the all the things that we have built with it, but uh, we use uh, pine. It's been treated. Uh, I have looked at back when I first got introduced to it. They also treat fir. They also treat different kinds of wood. But it's a good old number two yellow pine uh, with this heat treatment. And it's not anything new. This was invented in Finland all the way back in 1939. Um, it's a little pricey, it's a little bit more than treated wood, but it is so much better quality, and from a carpenter's point of view, it is just a joy to work with. Wow. You know, it makes me think of this uh, spray that we had done on our deck about five years ago that's supposed to be something that seals the wood completely Mm -hmm. about six inches deep and Mm -hmm. prevents all of the things that you're talking about, and I wonder if it's a... You're, you're talking about a finished product, and ours was a spray-on product that the company... Well, and the, the problem with the spray-on is you can't get it on the bottom of the deck. But uh, see if you can find it. I know the plant where they um, do this, I don't say manufacture, but the plant where they produce it is somewhere up in the Midwest. I don't know if it's in Ohio, but it's, it's much closer to you than it is to us. So you're probably going to get an even better price on it than we do. But uh, check with your bigger lumber yards. You're not going to find it at Handy Dan or whoever your, whoever your lumber company still is. I realize it's Home Depot or Lowe's across the country now. But um, if you've got a real lumber yard, 
uh, research it or go to the EcoVantage website and uh, perhaps uh, you'll find a number you can call there and they can tell you who the nearest distributor will be. Um, okay. It's, it's you know, here they don't really have retail outlets. Uh, they're just not set up for dropping customers. But uh, if you're if you're building a deck, if you're building a fence, things like that, they're happy to work with you. But uh, uh, check it out. I think it would be... Uh, it's the only thing I'll build out of these days, and if I we're probably going to actually build some raised beds sometime soon, and uh, uh, that's exactly what they're going to be built of. Okay, sounds good. I got another another couple of things. You've um, got about a minute and a half. I've got what is called a magnolia tulip bush. Yeah, it's about a deciduous magnolia, magnolia solangiana. Yep. Okay. Does that need can can we trim that because it's about fifteen by fifteen and encroaching everything? Let it bloom in the spring first and then trim it. If you trim now, you lose all your spring bloom. Yeah, because it's got a lot of buds on it now. Yeah, okay. treat it like a climbing rose. Let it bloom first and then trim. Okay, sounds good. And we'll probably be down sometime next year or this year later and stop in and look at your your carpentry work. Oh, you'll you'll have a lot to see. All righty, awesome. Thank you much, Bob. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You get out and enjoy this wonderful weekend. And uh, only got about 30 seconds till news time. And, of course, we'll be visiting with Howard Garrett right after the news. Save the last 30 minutes or show of the uh, program uh, for a few more calls. So if you didn't get your didn't get your question in, in the first two and a half hours, we'll have a little bit more for you later. And then, of course, we do gardening from 8 until 11 tomorrow. Uh, Anna is an old friend who lived in San Antonio. That's <laughs> why I know her so well. But anyway, I appreciate you joining me this morning. Stick around. Uh, it's always a pleasure visiting with you. You're listening to KTSA Radio in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Oh, but don't call right this minute because we're getting ready for our visit with the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. We'll save approximately the last 30 minutes of the show for more questions. And then, of course, we do this again tomorrow morning from, uh, oh, from 8 o'clock until 11, at which time Dr. Kirby comes in and we get to talk about your pet's health. But right now, it's time for the Dirt Doctor. Good morning, Howard. Well, it's raining here again. I got a question for you, though. I I just we, looked at the radar and saw that good rain. So, uh, what's the we, question? Are we through with the freezes? <laughs> Unless it gets to thirty-two. <laughs> you know, I, I I worked one of my wonderful mentors who was Alton Grimm down here, and uh, people would come in and say, "Alton, when's it gonna freeze?" And he'd look at him and say, "When it gets to 32." <laughs> so I don't That's know. A good answer both uh, both ways. I tell you, it's been very very gentle. I hadn't even had to worry about uh, shutting the greenhouse. I've been leaving it leaving the vents open at night, not turning on the Heater, I'm a little cavalier about it. I've, I've probably let it get a little too cool in there, but it's been very, very nice, and there's nothing in the forecast. Of course, like you say, never know until it yeah. happens. I was looking, and in fact, I was just looking at the uh, forecast for Dallas, and uh, it looks like you're going to be down in the 30s a few nights this week. And uh, as I always tell people, you can get frost even at 36 or 37, and frost can do a number on tomatoes and peppers and really tender plants, but uh, 
I don't know. I, I sure want to believe <laughs> we've had enough winter, and I'd love to believe that the really bad stuff is behind us, but um, we'll see. If it gets to 32, it's going to freeze. <laughs> yeah, I noticed uh, close to 40, some frost around my house, especially more on the roof of the house mm-hmm. than anywhere, which is kind of interesting. It's, uh, as they say, exposed surfaces, and the meteorologists tried to explain the phenomenon of frost to me, and I still don't fully understand how water can freeze, which is what frost is, when, uh, you know, when it's 38 or 39 degrees. It doesn't have to get to 32 to have frost, but uh, uh, I, I guess my mind's not quite strong enough to wrap around that concept, but uh, if you figure it out, let me know. I I just know that frost is can occur even, like you say, when it's up close to 40 degrees. And on your roof, it's not a problem, but on your tomato plants, it's a big problem. Yeah, it is. No, I haven't figured it out really either, other than it, it has to get colder right at the surface. And I think there's some kind of ke- chemistry activity that, that happens between the warmth of the uh, surface and the, war- and the uh, coolness of the air. But like you say, it's uh, it's... It's kind of like me understanding uh, hard math. <laughs> or physics. I got along yeah. okay at math, but physics left me behind. Uh, something terrible. But uh, and, and it's interesting, too, and I, it's something else that I don't know if you've observed, but um, I've had people that thought they were going to protect plants just turning a you know a nursery can or a bucket or something over them. And underneath just a plain you know cover like that i've had things freeze worse than they did out in the open and it's why i just i don't recommend it i recommend the row covers is the exclusively the way to give some protection and uh, you would think that put that cover over it and it'd stay a little warmer i guess it does help keep the frost off but it's amazing how much stuff will freeze when you just turn something just something over it well i may have just lucked out but i've I've done the exact same thing in the past before the freeze miser came around. Uh-huh. I would put trash cans over uh, faucets and hose bibs, you know, oh, where yeah. I could do that yeah. out in the garden, and, I, and I've never had any freeze damage. And I assumed I was doing some good, but like you say, I, uh, I used that green opaque uh, tarp covering mm-hmm. on some plants before, and I've had other. Listeners tell me the same thing. It didn't yeah. seem to protect the plants a bit. Now, what the difference is between a container and, and that tarp, I have no idea. <laughs> and you complicate it even further because I've had the same experience. That protects the pipes, you know, pretty well. But uh, I don't know, something about living things. But I uh, just hopefully we won't have to worry about it for very much longer this year. Well, it, uh, it may... Surprises! I I didn't like having that really cold uh, temperature. I thought we were going to get through the entire season this year and have a mild winter, but that didn't happen. But maybe it'll uh, shut off uh, early and we'll have a nice long spring. (laughs) Well, everybody always says when we have a late Easter, we have late cold. And Easter is very, very early this year. So I'm very much in hopes that the reverse happens, that when we have an early Easter, uh, the cold will move out early. But uh, a month from now, when we're talking about it, we'll have a little better idea of it. Yep, we'll see. Nothing we can do about it. 
Uh, that's exactly right, except uh, except cover the plants up. Uh, had an interesting thing that I wanted to run by you. One of our listeners uh, and one of our customers here at the nursery, and this guy took our advice a while back, and he keeps really, really good records of pretty much everything he does. And uh, he said that he had done some research and uh, and I don't know where this was, uh, where he found the information, but he said that tomatoes are one of the few plants that benefit from fertilizing with garret juice, with has to grow, with whatever, as soon as the seedling plant gets above the ground. He said so many people and so many people advising say, oh, you don't want to start fertilizing until the tomato puts on its first true leaves. But this past year, he started just as soon as it came up, as soon as the little cotyledons were up, and we saw the plants. They were the strongest, stockiest, and this is in seed trays. And, uh, you know, by the time they started producing their second or third set of true leaves and were ready to go into individual pots, they were weeks ahead of what uh, he had grown in the previous couple of years. So, And he said this year he's going to uh, do a control as well, one batch that he doesn't start fertilizing until they have true leaves, and the other he's going to do like he did this past year and start fertilizing as soon as they sprouted. And uh, I pass it along for what it's worth. It might be an interesting experiment to do for people that still start their, their transplantable things like tomatoes and peppers from seed. Well, that makes sense, and the uh, the thought about avoiding that probably came up from people using the harsh chemical yep. fertilizers. Yep. I think that uh, organic fertilizers in general will help you with that, and when you use the liquid things, and uh, I think Garrett juice might, might, I've done that myself. I've used it on new transplants the day they go in drenching real heavy pouring it over the top of the plant so you Mm -hmm. get some uh, foliar feeding as well as feeding of the uh, soil so that makes sense Um, I'll try that myself Uh, I'm about to plant some things and uh, run some experiments myself and I'll take a look at that as well well it'd be interesting just uh, you know just starting it a little bit earlier because I'm like you I've always waited until the plants were fair-sized before I really got in. Of course, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd put down dry fertilizer a month ahead when I get around to it, but I'd try to put down dry fertilizer with a little compost over the top of it, you know, four to six weeks in advance of the time I'm going to start planting, and I feel like that must do some good because when I go to dig for tomatoes or, or pepper transplants, Man, there are a lot of earthworms down there. I I really think it helps to to do that a little bit in advance, and then follow up with the liquids after things are up and growing. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's right. I I don't do it as much as I should because I'm just too lazy and or too busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like the busy. <laughs> oh, so what all's in your garden at this point? Oh, I'm just still uh, messing around with the uh, cool season uh, stuff. I've I've got beets coming on. The Swiss chard's looking really good. The kale um, is doing well. A lot of the stuff bit the dust, though, from uh, just putting one layer of the floating row cover on it. It it, um, cooked the cauliflower and... uh, I do have some broccoli still coming on, and I'm planting a new uh, round of some of those transplants here right away. It's just having uh, 
times. I was planning on doing it today. We had heavy rain last night, so yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna be messing in the in the soil with it sopping wet today or not. <laughs> Well, if you're in the soil today, you're going to be messing, and uh, your forecast says you've still got a 100% chance of rain today, and we could use a little more. I know y'all have, are pretty wet, and we've had better rains than we have for a couple of years, But uh, and, and my lake is full, I'm happy to say. I walked up and looked at it yesterday, but uh, the aquifers down here, and of course, you've got surface water, we've got groundwater but, man, we still need some more water for the rivers and for our aquifers and things like that. So once you get saturated, just just send it down our way, and we'll put it to good use. All right, I'll try to. We've got a lot of things that that have swollen buds, and we have a mm-hmm. lot of things that have already leafed out. Uh, my Mahonia belii is in full yellow bloom. It's um, a lot of plants thinking it's uh, spring for sure. I, the yep. buckeyes, which come out really early, are... Um, about halfway leafed out now, so it's uh, it's kind of an interesting time to watch your plants. My my buck, I have as you know about four different kinds of buckeyes, and sometimes mm-hmm. the Ohio buckeye is real slow to come out. But this year, it's leading the way. It's the it's the one that's the farthest uh, along. It's really interesting. I don't know. Just when you think you've got it figured out, who knows? It uh, and and fruit trees. We're starting to see. I'm not seeing yep. any open flowers, but I'm seeing lots of swelling buds. And this buds, was a- big buds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually a pretty good year for fruit trees, even if we hadn't gotten. That's one thing I find myself explaining to people all the time. You know, 15 degrees is no better than 43 degrees. The chilling hour is below 45, and having the severe cold. I people tell me, oh well, it gets the insects. I don't think that's true, but uh, we had a lot of that that weather that we were hoping would continue, where it was down below the chilling point, but not really severely cold. So I suspect it's going to be a pretty good year for peaches and plums if we don't get a late freeze. I do too. I think so. One of the things I want to throw out the uh, organic fruit and pecan tree program that we have on DirtDoctor.com. If people hadn't looked at it, you might want to take a look. One of the big differences that I recommend, one of the big changes I recommend over the chemical deal is that the first spraying you do is at pink bud, which is uh-huh. now. And uh, you don't spray anything that kills. You spray yeah. garlic pepper tea. You spray uh, repellent type things. Uh, garret juice mixed with garlic pepper tea is becoming my favorite thing to do. The only negative about that is you got to make the garlic pepper tea yourself. <laughs> and what is your formula? Yeah, what what is your formula on the garlic pepper tea? Well, the base formula, and it can vary like everything I've come up with, but uh, the the base formula is two bulbs, uh, the whole bulb, not just a clove, two bulbs of garlic, and mm-hmm. two. Uh, Hot peppers, the hotter the better, habanero, ghost pepper, whatever you can. Throw them in a blender and enough water just to blend up and make a nice uh, slurry mix and then screen out the solids. Keep the solids. Mm-hmm. You can use them in bed preparation and whatnot. But that liquid that you get, add enough water to it to make it a gallon. Uh-huh. And then use use a cup to two cups of that gallon per of your concentrate per gallon of water for the spray. 
I'm writing as fast as I can write, but that's probably on DirtDoctor.com, isn't it? Yeah, it, the easy way to find all my formulas and all my recommended programs like the Fruit and Pecan Tree Program is to go to the homepage of DirtDoctor.com and click on Guides. It's mm-hmm. in capital letters. And under Guides, that's where all the basic stuff is, including how to make Garrett juice, the sick tree treatment, the uh, tree trunk goop, uh, including the new formula that I recommend so much and all that. You know, that reminds me I need to get on there and actually print out a bunch of those things to give to our customers. Uh, sure. Look, be, be fine that, anytime. And, and we always give credit where credit is due. And, golly, y'all have so many good things up there now. And uh, it's... Uh, Everybody everybody can do things a little bit better, and it's just knowing what to do. And, uh, uh, you know, not a day goes by that I haven't recommended DirtDoctor.com to 10, or 10 to 50 people because there is so much good information there. One of the things you might want to uh, check every day is that top right-hand corner because that's where anything that's new that's uh, going on the website or any uh, edits or additions, changes, whatever shows up there, and we keep some of the things that we want people to not miss there all the time, like the fabulous tree slideshow. Right, right. Well, backing up just a little bit, uh, I'm getting more questions these days about beets, and I know you grow good beets in your garden. Do you have any special tricks or thoughts to uh, so many people, and I think at least part of it is uh, not thinning enough, but an awful lot of people say, well, gee, I can go grow good greens, but I don't get a very big beet on the bottom. What's your secret? Yeah, I think the thinning is important, and and thinning out also, you can use that young uh, foliage when you thin to go Mm -hmm. in salads or cook it by (laughs) itself. I mean, it's delicious and very, very tender at that point. I think the, um, the treatment with the garret juice before you plant the seed is it's pretty amazing. This year I had as good or better results with my beets than ever before, and I did a little bit different garret juice treatment. I I sprayed the, the uh, seed on paper. Mm-hmm. You know, really, right. What I use is a quart hand spritz bottle, you know, and spritz them really good, really get them soaked, and then let them dry completely uh, so they don't stick to your hand. You can just spread them uh, better that way and then after they're in the soil gently work them uh, in, into the soil just a little bit and then mm-hmm. drench the whole bed with the garret juice hmm. and okay. that's the first time I had done it that way and really looks like it's the best uh, results uh, I've had they're still coming on and producing right now and uh, we eat beets a lot yeah. even though somebody was telling me the other day i had a guest on my show talking about uh, human health, and they were talking about not eating, eat, staying away from sugar, and they were talking about even some of the vegetables that are high in uh, carbohydrates, you know, beets and carrots, you know, among the, uh, the two most important. And I'm not going to stay away from those. I don't think <laughs> most people are, but uh, yeah. it is something that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Well, my dogs and, love beets more than and, Judy and I do, I think. Well, and, and look at the good things that are so many of your blood pressure medicines, the uh, Neo 40, which uh, I take daily. and yeah, uh, I take it a lot, too. And what does it come from? Mainly from beets. Is that right? I <laughs> so, didn't even know that. Yeah, and, and the research behind that 
product uh, won a Nobel Prize, which I didn't I didn't realize before. Oh. But it's yeah, it's a beet extract. Is uh, I think is is uh, the principal thing that they make it from, and it's, of course nitric oxide is uh, one of the things. And uh, but uh, that's the thing too. You know, there are a lot of different things that people take as supplements, but combined with the natural things and combined with a good diet, they work even that much better. And I, I wish I did all the things I tell other people to do, but uh, I sure try. And beets are sure something good to have, as as are greens. I, I grew up with a family that really didn't appreciate mustard and collards and things like that. And uh, I have to give credit to to my business partner who's shown me that some of the screens you can some of those good old southern dishes are just absolutely outstanding oh yeah we've come up with a foolproof uh way of cooking beets i i chop them up into kind of cubes usually sometimes a little longer strips put them mm-hmm. in a stainless steel pan with a little just a little bit of uh, olive oil added and cook them uh, pretty hot to begin with, medium heat, and then turn it down mm-hmm. to low heat, and get that going first before I start cooking anything else, because uh-huh. it takes longer for them to uh, get really soft and, and perfect than the other things that you're cooking. I've learned that the hard way. And that's uh-huh. all you have to do. No seasoning of any kind, just the beets and a, t- and a little bit of olive oil. And it makes a great dish. I can't wait to try it. That sounds, you're making me salivate before breakfast here this morning. <laughs> well, nothing's easier. Nothing's yeah. easier than that dish. Yeah. You just have to make sure you leave them in there long enough. If you don't leave them long enough, you, they're fine to eat. You, know, you can eat beets raw if you want to, but they're yeah. so much more delicious if you let them get completely cooked and soft. And that, that reminds me, earlier this week we had some uh, toasted pecans, and uh, that's another recipe that we absolutely love that you have on DirtDoctor.com. And uh, I'm hoping, you know, hoping it's going to be a good year for the nut trees out there, but uh, that's something else that I just i have never found better than what you recommend. Yeah, that crispy pecan recipe that we've got that has gotten simpler and simpler. I'm about to do a new batch of them. I probably will do it today. As a matter of fact, I I, oh, so I promised my sister some. We missed uh, Christmas and New Year's gift, and uh, we're going to get together right. soon. And taking the uh, crispy pecans along with us will be part of the deal. You'll be a big hit. <laughs> they'll they'll welcome you, as I'm sure they do anyway, but they'll welcome you even more when you come bearing that kind of gift. Uh, one plant I wanted to ask you about that I am not familiar with, but uh, Japanese anemones. Uh, I think the variety was Alice Staub. I had a caller last week that said uh, these things will get up to 36 inches tall and have a typical anemone flower and uh you know, Lynn Lowry, of course, was one of the naturalists down in our part of the world that did an awful lot with popularizing native plants. But do you know native? Do you know Japanese anemone? I think I grew it once a long time ago. It's a beautiful plant. I don't know why. It, yeah, it worked really well here. Didn't didn't last, you know, as a perennial or anything. But mm-hmm. it was pretty one season. I can't remember if I. I'm so bad about taking things out and changing. Things I, right. that might have been what happened to it, but yeah, I had some good luck with it. I need to make a note to uh, try that again. Uh, that's it's a pretty plant. We have a little anemone that grows as a wildflower too. That uh, oh yeah, I think 
probably ought to be used more. It's much smaller, but it's kind of it's a cool little plant too. We we do as well. In fact, that's what we call it. Uh, you know, a real harbinger of spring because that's always the first thing in my yard and actually along the roadsides. Uh, Roberta and I walk the roads over in her part of the hill country on a regular basis and uh it's always the first one and the lavenders to purples are always the most prominent but the whites and the pinks uh that that's the first thing that shows up and mine come back every year and i i guess i really haven't dug them up i don't know if they have the same little bulb or corm that uh you know we get that for people to plant in in bulb gardens but uh yeah uh, they're sure pretty yeah, people you know, had asked me, you know, how to uh, control them and spray them and kill them. I'm like, why in the world would you want to do that? Nothing's, nothing's prettier than those little things. Yeah, they come up, and I've noticed them coming up in some people's uh, yards, turf areas, uh, driving around in places that aren't being very well maintained. So they, they mm-hmm. seem to be very carefree. <laughs> You're describing my yard, not very well maintained. <laughs> no, I think it's a good wildflower. I think it's really pretty. And if you watch them after the petals fall, when they go to seed, they make that little, and it's you know it's within three or four inches of the ground, but uh, it's real easy to harvest a seed, and you know it's ready to harvest when you just rub it with your thumb, and all the seeds start falling off. So it's an easy thing to spread around to other areas, and uh, seems yeah, to do for yeah. me. Equally well in sun or shade. Yep. Well, I hope it uh, stops raining here pretty soon so I can do a little more gardening and catch up. I'm always behind, it seems. But uh, <laughs> it, we need, it's, it's nice to have the moisture, too. Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's just, there's something magical about rainwater, and there are lots of different theories and all about what it is from the spin theory to the fact that you get more nitrogen, especially if you've got lightning. But, uh, Rainwater is just truly, truly magical, and um, I tell you what, looking at the way our part of Texas is developing, I'm, I'm telling people, you better be planning on rainwater catchment, because I see the day coming when groundwater is going to be uh, either unreliable or, you know, so highly regulated through, uh, you know, watering restrictions and things like that the fun thing about rainwater is you know you don't have to pay any attention to what the authorities say it's your water to use when and how you want and uh it's something that we're we're really promoting and of course like i say y'all have lots of surface water up there but as far as water for the garden for the pets for everything uh i still think rainwater is just something that more people and more businesses need to get into well, it's available now until the government tries to do something else. Say, so, I know we're about out of time, but one thing I was going to ask you real quickly, I'm having trouble f- figuring out how to buy the nematodes from the Hydro Gardens. When I do Hydro Gardens nematodes, I end up on a website that's dead. It's available for purchase, in fact. How, how are you guys getting a, a hold of those uh, nematodes on a blue sponge these days? I will I will get you a phone number, and uh, that's something that one of our managers usually takes care of that I don't worry with, but I will get okay. you that uh, that phone number and, and text it to you uh, uh, hopefully in just a little while this morning. They're unpacking a big California truck out there right now, so when we get through with that, I'll, I'll get you that number, and uh, be sure and use us as a reference, and uh, 
I think they'll take good care of you. They're still doing the one million sponge and the six million sponge, and I think they even do bigger ones by request and it's the same they they do more than one but we like that blend because uh it's it's important there's i don't think and i i gosh i I studied nematodes but they were more of the parasitic ones back in my college days and uh don't know as much about the beneficial ones but i think it's largely a almost a one-to-one ratio between the the host and the nematode that goes after it and so we get a blend, they call it Guardian Lawn Patrol, that I think has either seven or nine yeah. different species of nematode in there. Because uh, um, for us, I think that's you know, the best way to go, too, yeah. Well, I will I will get that number for you, and you well, let us know if you have any want issues. I this information as well, so I'll put it on my website, and uh, uh, you know, we'll have it available for people. Somebody was asking me about it on the show last week, and I... I during the break, I tried to pull it up myself, and I ran into a dead end. I couldn't figure out how to do it. Well, when you talk to them, ask them, you know, how much they do in individual shipments. I know we have, you know, farmers and ranchers down here that are going to treat big acreage, but I don't know how much they're encouraging, like, individual sales. You you mm, ask them, ask them about that, yeah. but... Yeah, you may, what they can probably tell you is what nurseries are offering them for sale. Um, okay. And, and like I say, I'd, I'd, I'll try to get some information there, but I don't think they're really set up for, um, you know, one-on-one sales. But, um, again, don't don't take that from me. Ask them when I get you the number. Yeah, if that doesn't work, I just need to figure out, you know, something else to recommend to people. Well, Nelly is right in my face right now. Telling me that it is time for her breakfast. So we might all continue this next week. I think that's a very good idea. You give Nellie and Tater both a big pet for us. And uh, Howard, it's always a pleasure visiting with you. And we thank you for spending some of your Saturday morning with us. It is fun. You guys all enjoy those healthy gardens out there. We'll see you next week. We'll look forward to it. Thanks again. That's Mr. Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor, his website, dirtdoctor.com, best thing on the Internet, and just a tremendous wealth of information out there. Uh, You you start looking through it, you're going to realize it would be a a, a long, long project to see all the information that's on there. But like he says, up in that upper right-hand corner is a good way to keep up with it. And on his recipes page, you're going to find a lot of very, very useful things uh, to, to look for it or doctor.com um we've got a little time left now for some phone calls i think jimmy's probably got the lines open uh let's uh let's run our bottom of the hour commercial jimmy and we'll be back hopefully with a few phone calls south texas gardening with bob webster is on the air news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right. Well, back to gardening, and uh, Martha and John both want to continue conversation, so let's go back to the phone lines. Martha, you're first. Good morning. Okay. Give you an old saying for the frost. <laughs> okay. February frost in April, and unfortunately, I've seen it happen too many times in these years. <laughs> we have. We have as well, and um, I, you know, we're not going to change it, but Old Malcolm Beck used to say, uh, if it weren't for the weather, what would we have to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Any thoughts on getting amaryllis to bloom when you want them to? (laughs) 
Well, the, the most important thing with, uh, and, you know, American amaryllis, which most people don't realize, uh, are, the, are really the true amaryllis, and they can be planted in the flower beds, and they're, they're just early spring bloomers every year. The, the thing that most of us grow and call amaryllis are actually hippiastrums that come out of South Africa originally. And the most important thing is to be sure that they get that rest period um, you know, late summer into the fall, and in their native environment, uh, that dormancy is induced by drought rather than by cold. And if you don't force them into dormancy, your flowering is going to be um, is going to be a little bit disappointing. So that's that's one thing I would tell you. And uh, oh gosh, I, I, we will know more this year. We at the you know we do the huge gift market in January every year. And one of the people we visited with was uh, somebody that's going to be new to us as a supplier of amaryllis bulbs. But uh, he was talking about some things that they do in preparing the bulbs, getting the bulbs ready to put on the market. And uh, he said their bulbs continue to produce bloom spikes for two or three or four months. So we're going to try to learn everything we can from him, and we're going to use... Uh, use amaryllis bulbs from a little bit different supplier in addition this year and i hope i'll be able to tell you more after that but uh, the main thing i'll tell you right now is be sure toward the end of the summer that you really start withholding the water and i mean zero water let those leaves shrivel and die and you know just dry out completely hold that bulb in that dry state for four to six weeks and then you can sort of control the time when it's going to bloom by when you warm it up. Uh, you know how we force bulbs uh, as far as, to, uh, as hyacinths and tulips and narcissus and mm -hmm. things like that. And to a certain extent, um, you can do that with the hippiastrum. So you can't get them too cold or it will hurt the bulb. But uh, I believe he told us that the ideal temperature to hold them at is 47 degrees. And uh, he said, when you bring them out beyond that, they're going to start growing and start blooming. So if you properly put your bulbs through dormancy and then stored them at the right temperature, you can bring them out, you know, one a week, two a week, three a week, and get them to bloom over, you know, over really the entire early spring time. So um, it, it's fun talking to somebody who is tr a true specialist in amaryllis and uh we're going to apply some yeah. of the things that he told us, and we'll see how it works out. Oh, sounds good. One more question. You used to talk a lot about uh, things going on with some a form, a show form for um, that was called Blue Rainbow. I haven't heard anything about it. What happened? <laughs> uh, now, ask me that question once again. Uh, talk about a, a... Yeah, they were going to... Uh, we're looking for a family at the, when they first started. Oh, 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 the Blue Ranch. Yeah, yeah that's, Ranch. we need to ask, okay. yeah, we need to ask Howard Garrett that about better. that. That was his project <laughs> that he was involved in and, uh, we haven't had time to get up there or anything. I think he really helped them set it up and last time I asked him about it, uh, they were well underway and, uh, had, I think had selected a foreman for the project, but, uh, you know, I, as I'm sitting here, I'll I, I write down my notes on a little pad of things that I want to remember to ask Howard about, and uh, I'll make a note for next Saturday to ask him about the Blue Ranch and see how that's coming along. 
Okay, thank you. I'm going to hang up and go look for my asparagus. <laughs> well, you do it, Martha. You have a good weekend, and we'll talk again, Thanks. and uh, we'll move on and talk to John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Okay, I've got like uh, four questions real quick, if you don't mind, oh, sir. Absolutely. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, my wife likes the uh, boxwoods in the pots, mm -hmm. and... Uh, it seems like we've had some over the years that kind of were just nicely rounded without any trimming. Do they mm -hmm. take on the size of the pot when you plant them in a pot? No. They um, uh, eventually you can you know you can bonsai them, you can stunt them, but um, that's not going to happen until that until they become root bound, and that's usually. You know, that just depends on the relationship between the pot size and the plant size. But, uh, no, in general, shaping is done by pruning or shearing. Uh, pruning is, you know, going through and just selecting very carefully individual branches. Shearing is just cutting everything back to one size. But most of the ones that you see have have had some pruning and some shearing, and that's contributed to their size. They can be topiaried when you look at English gardens and things like that, where they have things that are really sculpted to a uh, given shape. Uh, that's the result of shears. Yeah, she loves the topiary. Mm -hmm. Okay. I live in Magnolia, and uh, I have a horrible problem with yard rats, especially those with horns on them. And uh, they killed three magnolia trees with their scraping, and it's just uh -huh. really mad. But I also want to have some kind of garden, and <clears throat> I, I've been doing something in pots, but I have to build planters around them to protect them from mm -hmm. uh, those awful creatures. Anyhow, uh, I'm wondering what size pot is the minimum? for uh, a healthy tomato plant? Um, it's There really is no minimum. It comes down to a matter of being able to care for it. And, of course, the smaller the pot, the more quickly it becomes root-bound. The more root-bound it becomes, the faster it dries out and the harder it is to keep things watered. So... Um, if you're growing, there, there's some little dwarf tomatoes, Tiny Tom and another one called Tumbling Tom that uh, people grow in hanging baskets. But uh, there's some little ones, and you can get a, a small to medium-sized fruit, literally growing those in maybe a 10-inch pot. But then you get to some of the indeterminates, like the Sweet 100s and the Sun Gold, which I love so much. Anything smaller than a whiskey barrel is going to frustrate you there. So you're going to have to match your variety to the size of pots. And as long as you choose some of the more compact varieties, uh, probably the most popular plant to grow on a porch is appropriately called patio. And uh, you can get a nice plant on it probably in a 10 to 12 inch pot. Okay. But, well, what we I like the Juliet. My wife likes the Roma. Is there a Roma that is a, a sweeter variety than than just the Roma you typically get? There are lots of varieties of Roma out there. Uh, there's one called San Marzano is one of the popular ones. 
Um, they're difficult tomato for me. I don't know why, but in my garden, I've always had more problems with early blight on that than anything else. And I've heard that from other people, and yet other people, their gardens just thrive. Their aromas just thrive. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask about that. But um, if I were growing aromas, I probably would want to have them in at least a 12-inch pot uh, your Sun Gold, your Sweet 100s, you're going to want a 15-gallon container minimum, you know, for those because they, they're indeterminates and they, they're just like a giant vine and they'll just keep on growing. And uh, you want to be able to water them adequately and properly so you can't put them in too small a pot. Okay. Uh, I'm I probably will do like, I think I'll get big enough pots. I was just hoping I could do something smaller with them. Um uh, she also likes citrus trees, and mm-hmm. we've got them in pots on the back patio. But again, our uh, unfriendly neighbors come and chew on the leaves. And right. I was wondering about uh, putting in a blender a hot pepper sauce and spraying with them. Do you see any That's problems? That's no problem at all. And uh, you may actually be able to find... Um, something like that. A uh, company called Meister Grow used to make a garlic pepper tea. And uh, if you're listening a few minutes ago, Howard gave his recipe uh, combining garlic and peppers, you know, as a spray for various things. And uh, it, it's good. You have to do it frequently, but uh, it still works if they aren't too hungry. The uh, problem with the summer we had, it was so hot and so dry, there were so little natural browse for them. They were especially bad in the gardens this year. I'll tell you what I have done. Uh, I've got my yard pretty much deer-proof now. I built an eight-foot fence around uh, oh, probably a little over an acre of ground, so my problems aren't what they used to be. But on the trees, I would take either two or three or four, depending on the diameter of the tree, uh, just old iron T-post. And just put them up against the trunk, a piece of baling wire around the top, around the bottom. And uh, they don't want to rub the velvet off. They don't like rubbing on metal. They look for that bark. They look for that tree. And that's where you get your girdling that you had on your magnolias and that we have on all kinds of trees. But uh, I, for as long as I was fighting them in my yard, I would put that up around uh, the middle of July and leave it up until this time of year when the ruts passed. And uh, it pretty much totally solved the rubbing problem for me. Uh, yeah, that's that's good, and that's what I'm going to have to resort to. I know that it's just a, it's just kind of kind of a, a pain. Last question: Palm trees. Um, you know, they took a hit with the freeze, and the the fronds are are brown. How long should I leave those? When should I cut them back? And how far should I cut them back? Cut them back anytime you like. And um, <clears throat> are you talking now about cycads like the so-called sago palms or the true palms? Both. Okay. On your cycads, uh, just cut off any brown foliage. Uh, they need whatever green is there. So if you end up trimming just half of a frond off, um, it's what's brown is not going to become green again. Uh, the uh, on your true palms, you might as well go ahead and cut back anything that's damaged. The true palms, what you really have to do is watch that spot right in the center because the only live part 
of your upright palms. Now, this doesn't apply to pygmy date palms or Mediterranean fan palms, but the only part of that trunk that's alive is right there at the base where the fronds come out of. If that is brown and dead, if that central frond coming up out of there does not develop, uh, it probably, the tree is probably not going to come out. Like I say, the Mediterranean table branch from the base, but your windmills and your uh, things like that, no. If that point is gone, and so many people are planting the uh, Cocos plumosa, uh, that's, a, that's a palm that just isn't hardy here and should not be sold. But uh, uh, in general, if the leaves are brown on either cycads or um, true palms, go ahead and do all the trimming you like. It's just cosmetic. Okay. Well, uh, last question. I've got the... Uh I've got a palm that's like 12 feet tall. It was here when mm -hmm. we moved, in. and I and I I do watch those that center of it. Uh -huh. and the hard trees that we got the last time, I, I put some blankets over it to kind of to help protect that. And I didn't care about the outside foliage because I know uh, it will probably probably mm -hmm. uh, return. You're saying I can cut all that excess out right now? Absolutely, absolutely, and watch that center. And, John, I'm going to let you go. we got to get one more break in here before the top of the hour, and uh, we'll, we'll see if we have time for any more calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Recorded commercials. That's right. us up to just about uh, 45 seconds left in the show. Uh, Martin and Jim are live today. Apparently, they've got a big celebration going on with banners and things like that. So uh, you want to leave that dial set on KTSA uh, right where it is right now. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Of course, we do gardening again tomorrow from 8 till 11, followed by Dr. Dan Kirby and your pet's health. But uh, anyway, it's uh, there's some storms roaming around the area. looks like the hill country is getting some rain. But here in San Antonio, uh, not much right now. But go ahead and get out and get your gardening done because we may get some more before, before the rain's over. Once again, get out and have a great day. Uh, Get some planting done, get some weeding done, get some fertilizer down. I can keep you busy all day long. This is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.